Welcome everybody hey. to the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. We came in eventually, you know, not exactly on time, but it's all good. It's all good. Hey, we, ri- we arrive exactly when we mean to. <laughs> you ain't Gandalf. <laughs> Maybe I am. That would be wild. I didn't expect that. Well, that's ah. what we're all about here. Uh, anyway, I'm Doug. This is Tug over here. Bug is not with us. He is currently in the happiest place on earth. Um, unfortunately for him, <laughs> I'm sure his kids are. I'm sure. That. Yeah, I think he is too. I doubt it. He's probably very sad about how much money it costs to be there. Well, that could be. That's very, very, very <laughs> possibly true. We, on the other hand, have a lot of things to talk about. Uh, of course, of course, we're going to have to mention the Deshaun Watson stuff. Uh, but that's not the only NFL news going on. And in addition to all that, we got an NFC East preview coming your way. And later on, we're going to be joined by some very special guests to cover the Big Ten. We are almost done with all of our conference previews. This is the second to last one. It's kind of incredible. Right. Here's the Big Ten Day, and it's going to be a good, good preview. I'm really excited for it. So, without further ado, I think we ought to go ahead and get started. Um, I will say, though, I did find out the other day that <laughs> Peyton Manning is going to be hosting the CMAs this year. Oh, God. <laughs> Which uh, just really begs the question. Uh, I assume he and Luke Bryan are going to have the same dynamic that Brad Paisley and Carrie Underwood have had for the past several years. Awkward which sexual tension. Gonna, yeah, which one's going to be the Carrie Underwood? <laughs> God. Uh, God. <laughs> I have no response. How about we think about that as we head into our NFL news? So why don't you take it away, Tug? All right, man. Hey, I'm going to start us off with probably the best news. I feel so behind because I didn't realize this. But, oh, my God, football's back starting tomorrow. Uh, So as we record this, the Hall of Fame game is happening tomorrow. Uh, Raiders versus Jaguars. Josh McDaniels versus Doug Peterson. I don't believe it. But if Josh McDaniels actually takes the field, I'll, I'll start to believe it. Look, I'm looking at the notes we have here, and there ain't no way any of these quarterbacks are starting. Actually, they are. One of them, at they, least two of them are. That's true. Yes, they, both, they're uh, definitely playing. Because Derek, Derek Carr, Carr is seeing a, a series at most, if anything. And Trevor and Lawrence has already said Trevor Lawrence isn't going to play. Yeah. All right, man. So the same thing at the same time. We're, we're not going <laughs> to. We're not going to break down this this preseason first preseason game of the 2022 season, but uh, what do you think in looking at it? What do you what do you want to see? What are you expecting to see? What are you excited for? Um, I would really love to see Derek Carr and Devonta Adams for one series. I doubt that's going to happen, but if we get to see that, I would be very excited for that, and then I'll be done with it. I don't care about anything else. That's very it. It is week one. You're not going to see a lot of the starters. You're going to see at most a series, maybe a quarter, depending on the team. Uh, They usually ramp up over the next uh, two weeks. Uh, The only one I can probably confidently say is you won't see Aaron Rodgers all all preseason. 
Um, and he's going to play like trash week one and then be okay after that. Um, there's there's this, not a lot the of first. The first preseason game is really about getting you down to the cut to 75. Yep. So if you can get ready for that with this game, that's all you're really looking for. The cut to 53 and, is a long ways off yet. And and with these teams, there's, there's not a ton of storylines going into this game. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a game. The exciting thing is professional football is back and I'm excited for it. I can't wait. I'm not. <laughs> it's preseason. <laughs> Bro, does, doesn't it doesn't it feel like like the uh, fall and the football season's just speeding right up on us? Um, I still want a month of summer. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with how things are. Well, well, you're weird and you like it hot, but uh, apparently, Marquise Brown, aka Hollywood Brown, was speeding down into Phoenix the other night and. Uh, is now being charged with criminal speeding, which in the state of Arizona is anything 20, uh, 20 miles over this posted speed limit. So you think if he's doing 85 and a 65, that's criminal speeding. He's probably doing like 80 and a 55 or something like that. That, that'd that, be that would be my guess. That's something that I would do. So yeah. <laughs> Either way, the Cardinals are hurting to start the season. Yeah. <laughs> I, aren't you so glad they paid Kyler Murray and then removed that contract clause that said he had to study? I'm just more excited that they're paying two great receivers and then not going to have either of them for at least like the first part of the season. Yeah, what the, <laughs> dude, dude, it's insane. They have been hit by off the field Everything. issues and on the field PED issues. Like it's been nuts. Uh, but that's still not the most insane thing that happened in the NFL this week. Um, you said it. We're going to cover it. Um, if you hadn't heard yet, DeAndre Hopkins has been suspended six games for PED use, um, which that six games might sound really familiar if you've been paying attention to football this week because yeah, Deshaun Watson was suspended for six games with no fine. I, really I weird. Have, That's the same amount of time as uh, trace amounts of PEDs uh, when you're comparing over 30 accusations of sexual assault. Yeah, dude. Like, I, that's that's interesting. I, I honestly, think those are comparable. Yeah, definitely. I honestly have have no words for this. Um, I understand it was an independent arbitrator that came up with this decision. A former federal judge. Uh, Honestly, applause to the NFL for, for going that route. Uh, also applause to the NFL for appealing the decision and going after a max suspension of one year. Uh, when you look at one-year suspensions, Calvin Ridley has been suspended for one year for, oh, betting on his own team to win games. Um, the The arguments are all over the place. The NFL's... The punishments are just so inconsistent. I, I have no belief in them anymore. What What's it going to do? Um, this this sucks all the way around. Uh, like I said, get on the NFL for appealing it again, going after it for a longer suspension. But you and I have had the conversations. They had no other choice. This is the only way they can reasonably sit there and say, we did everything we could. I don't agree with you when you say I've lost the NFL at all. They had a chance to do this correctly. They refused to do it correctly. Sure, you can say that they 
quote unquote did the right thing, put this in outside of their own hands and the hands of a federal judge. Okay, that's not the place of the NFL in the first place. NFL that's shouldn't shouldn't be in the business of assigning federal judges to cases. So, right? so that's really weird. Keep in mind, she's a retired NFL judge. She or a retired federal judge. I don't she's, care. My point still stands. No longer sits the bench. <laughs> I'm just saying they looked for an independent arbitrator, and that's what they got. My point still stands. Just, My point being, this should have been automatically the day this news broke. It should have been an indefinite suspension. Yes. No, that, that was the only realistic answer to this, and the NFL shot itself in the foot and then is trying to save face by coming back and appealing this. The NFL is the one who hands out the suspension anyway. They went to this arbitrator for the arbitrator to tell them how many games to suspend in. So they're appealing to themselves to tell themselves how many games to suspend in. This is this- a pure face-saving move. I don't respect this at all. And I think the NFL would be ashamed of itself in every aspect of this. I, I frankly think the NFL is, uh, which is why they're trying to save face. Uh, I agree with everything you've said, but we are where we are. I would have suspended him indefinitely. And once every single allegation was was handled, whether in civil court, criminal court, whatever, then the NFL can come in and say, all right, now that we know how this is done, you can come back on this date. But yep. the way it was handled is egregiously awful. Correct. Speaking of NFL punishments. Um, and, and egregiously awful punishments. <laughs> and egregiously awful punishments. And my God, I did not realize the level of boy crush that Stephen Ross had on Tom Brady. Absolutely I mean, insane. It's the same amount that, you know, for example, our not-with-us-right-now co-host Bug loves Peyton Manning and the University of Tennessee. Oh, yeah, dude. That's He's the, just the biggest fan. So so I know on air he puts on this facade that he hates right. Tennessee. Uh, but talking offline, he absolutely loves it. Uh, he, it's, it's has, amazing. he has 14 Peyton Manning jerseys. It's crazy. Yeah, dude. <laughs> um, but no, so Stephen Ross. He's going to kill us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stephen Ross and Miami Dolphins have been have forfeited a 2023 first round pick. Uh, such a big hit when they have two of them. Uh, and then they have also forfeited a 2024 third round pick, uh, which will probably at some point be replaced by a third round compensatory pick. So, you know, right. You, right. you take them and you lose them, man. Like, it's just, just how this goes. Uh, the bigger news out of this is Stephen Ross has been suspended for uh, until October 17th. But I've been reading somewhere that he can actually still go to the games. He just can't be involved in the facility at all. Yeah, so I guess he can't go to the facility and he can't go to owners' meetings and have a vote in owners' Correct. meetings until Correct. the suspension is done. So yep. that's interesting. But also, how much does it really affect the Dolphins? It's not like he mattered anyway. No, well, he matters too much. Um, I mean, he's way, that's way too, yeah, way too micromanaging. Um, and for then, the organization, I meant in terms of like how oh, the NFL fair. operations work. Fair. The NFL is not turning to Stephen Ross. It's not what to do. No. They're looking at um, Robert Jerry Jones. If one of them gets suspended, things will change. Yeah. But this doesn't do anything. On top of that, he was fined $1.5 million. Um, <laughs> Which is roughly that- Deshaun Watson's salary this season. <laughs> <laughs> and he's losing out on. 
And then uh, our vice president uh, has also been barred from league meetings and fined $500,000. All of this stems from not paying to lose. Uh, in fact, uh, this all stems from his boy crush on Tom Brady. Uh, Stephen Ross tampered with Tom Brady in 2019 uh, when he was with the Patriots. That didn't work out. He went to Tampa Bay. So Stephen Ross said, eh, screw it. It's been a year. Let's try again uh, and try it again this past offseason. Uh, as well as in this offseason, also going after Sean Payton, who is still under contract with the Saints, even after Payton retired. Uh, that's when Miami finally requested permission to talk to him. And New Orleans still said no. Um, the findings from about the uh, paying to lose or tanking intentionally to win were inconclusive. Uh, they said they actually found nothing that was hard and fast that way. Uh, however, that Stephen Ross had made comments about needing to improve Miami's draft stock. Uh, now, the one everyone's asking about is the $100,000 bribe per game loss to Brian Flores. The independent investigators came out and said that they, the comment was made. However, it was just a comment, and there was never an actual uh, offer made for that. Uh, so that is not included in any of these punishments. Uh, the loss of draft picks is for the tampering, uh, which I hate because everybody in this league tampers. However, not to this extent. First not to this extent, and not everybody gets caught. And second of all, Brian Flores didn't say whether or not it was a contract written down. He said Stephen Ross told him that. And if it, they found that he told him that, I don't so, care if it was a joke or not. You don't joke about things like that. This is not what that league is supposed to see, be. No, 100, 100%. Um, obviously, we'll never know what was actually said. Uh, they could never corroborate it with any of the other people they were uh, interviewing. Uh, reports came out said Miami was very uh, cooperative throughout the investigation. Um I'm sure. Yeah, I, I don't know what the actual comment was. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, yeah, it sucks. It sucks. It's just <laughs> another way that Stephen Ross is killing this team. Uh, and frankly, I'm on the same boat uh, with him as I am with Dan Schneider, and that's that they both need to sell. I've been saying that about Stephen Ross for about three, four years now. So I have two more points before I move on. Very quick. First of all, um, how incredible would it be if Stephen Ross is forced to sell before Dan Snyder is forced to sell? All right, you're talking about losing faith in the NFL over Deshaun Watson. That, yeah, that would, that be, would be a different level. Because, again, Stephen oof. Ross didn't take money from the NFL. Dan Snyder did. I would push for us to stop even talking about the NFL on this podcast. You might I have can. an argument. You might have an argument. And then my second point is the timing – of that news on the Dolphins' punishment is really suspicious. Yeah, with yeah, the timing of the Deshaun Watson stuff, hundred percent, almost as if they wanted to change the public discourse. No, that no dog, that doesn't. I, I, I don't know. That just that came to me. That thought came to me. It might be possible. That no, that's what they were trying to do. I, that I'm can't be. Saying. That thing that makes complete sense cannot possibly be. Let's get a move on, though. All we right, more man. Stuff to talk this, about. this one's more you. I'm going to let you run with this one a little bit. Lewis Hamilton is joining the ownership group of the Denver Broncos. Man, you were stoked when you saw this. Take it away. 
So out of nowhere, I've never been a motorsport fan for some reason. I mean, it seems like I ought to be, but I just haven't been particularly until this year for no reason. I started watching F1. And if you don't know about Formula One, it's a very rich tradition of racing. Uh, honestly, bigger brand, more internationally recognized than NASCAR. So Lewis Hamilton is one of the best drivers in F1 history. Seven-time champion um, and very, very wealthy individual. Uh, clearly. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> As he has just joined the ownership group of the Denver Broncos, which makes him, what, like the seventh athlete ever to go from being you know, on a team to owning a team. Not necessarily yeah. in the same sport, but still, it's something we, crazy, small number small. like that. Uh, yeah. I know awesome. Michael Jordan owns say, an NBA team. Michael uh, Jordan, had Derek Jeter. Right. I think yeah. Mario Lemieux owns part of the Penguins. That sounds right. And now Lewis Hamilton owns the Denver Broncos. At least, you know, part ownership. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's a lot of money. <laughs> Unfortunately, speaking about the Denver Broncos, though, we have to bring up the first unfortunate report out of training camp here. Denver Broncos wide receiver Tim Patrick, uh, honestly, who was looking very promising this offseason, uh, even at the beginning of training camp, uh, projected to be really, really good this year, was an underrated wide receiver, uh, is out for the season with a torn ACL. I don't want to spend too much time on this. This this is training camp. This happens every year. We know it. It just it sucks, man. I feel bad for him. Absolutely. Yeah, I like Tim Patrick a lot. Hope he comes uh, back. On the other side, though, well, I guess same side, different conference. Debo Samuel finally got paid. Looking at a three year extension, uh, for with a max contract of $73.5 million, uh, $58.1 million of that is guaranteed. Honestly, dude, I'm stoked for him. This is absolutely fantastic. The Niners needed to do this. Absolutely the right move to do. I just wish they had got it done sooner. Well, he's getting paid like a wide receiver, so now he's going to be okay lying up at wide receiver when he needs to. But he's still be used in the same way, right? He's a running back yep. threat as well. And that versatility is something that hasn't exactly been accounted for yet in the way the NFL talks about positions, but it's something that the NFL has coveted for a long time Correct. in their players. Yep. So you get somebody like Debo or you get somebody like Christian McCaffrey. I mean, that kind of player who can basically do everything on your offense. You got to start paying those guys requisite with the best of the position groups that they are a part of all of them in one. So, and and don't do with them like you did with defensive ends slash outside linebackers where you create a new position for them. Right. Oh, he's right, not a defensive. Start. He's not a defensive end. He's an edge rusher. So, so a defensive end. Just start calling him a flex. Don't even call him a receiver. Oh my God, dude, that's amazing. I love it. Rather than have flex position. <laughs> All right, speaking of getting paid, granted, this is a uh, not a negotiated payment here. 
Uh, but Orlando Brown is signing the franchise tag. That's going to be huge, man. Like, hopefully he gets the contract done. I personally hate the tag. I know you hate the tag. What you going to do? It still exists. The Chiefs went about it the right way, though, in that they franchise tagged him and then started ramping up negotiations yeah. even harder. They just couldn't come to an agreement. I would say for Orlando Brown to sign it right now shows that he still has faith. These are well-intentioned and meaningful negotiations. So I expect Orlando Brown to stick around for a long time here. It's just a matter of they needed some time to work that out. And if he wanted yep. to play this season, he kind of needs to get on signing something. Yeah. So this so is a good sign for both. I, I think you're 100% right. Um, and now moving on to our last NFL story. God, it feels like we've been on this for forever, and I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. Washington Washington Commanders linebacker Ryan Kerrigan signed a one-day contract with the Commanders to retire with the Burgundy and Gold. Uh, what a career, man. But we ask this question every time. Is he a Hall of Famer? Absolutely not. At the same time, he is one of the last great remaining players under the former name of the organization, uh, which is meaningful to these guys. Absolutely should be. And... He was one of my favorite players, and not in the sense that he was always great, but in the sense I loved watching him play because of just how scrappy he was. Yeah. Brian Kerrigan, to me, this is going to sound weird because he is a Big Ten guy and not from Northwestern, but he exemplifies the way that Northwestern plays to me, where it's like, you know, they it's not the biggest, fastest, strongest guys. They will play you so tough every single time out. And uh, <laughs> I just, I love that. I love that. I look for that everywhere. And Ryan Kerrigan exemplified that. So, no, he's not a Hall of Famer. He doesn't have any kind of stats to back that up. But he he is really fantastic at football. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that happens. We see it all the time. There are guys who are there. They're fantastic. They're just, they're just not that level. And I'm inclined to agree with you. But with that, I'm going to hand it over to you, man. It's time for the college right. news. So only a couple of things to talk about here. Uh, first of all, I do want to say there's a lot of speculation about further conference realignment. Uh, we don't know anything. Nobody knows anything, apparently. Uh, I have heard conflicting reports, multiple different directions. First, the Big Ten was looking to add four more Pac-12 teams. And then the Big Ten was looking to add Florida State for some reason. And then now the Big Ten's not looking to expand at all anymore. The Big 12 might scoop up some Pac-12 teams. Then they might not. And then the Big 12 might fold for some reason, I saw. And then now the Big 12 is in a good position to pick up some Pac-12 teams again. So nobody knows anything, very clearly. And uh, <laughs> Except you, only, you know things. The only thing that we, for certain, are... We can actually stand on is that Greg Sankey said he doesn't care to expand further right now. He doesn't see any benefit to that. Um, at the same time, if Notre Dame said, hey, I'll want to join the SEC, that would happen. So <laughs> it's even that's a castle made out of sand. <clears throat> All this is up in the air. Nobody knows anything. And if somebody tells you they know something about conference realignment right now, don't believe them. At the same time, 
That's for the FBS level. We do have some news on the FCS level uh, with some realignment, and I think this is very fascinating. Uh, so, if you're not aware of how the FCS conferences work right now, uh, I totally understand that. It's not something that everybody talks about all the time. Uh, but there is just there are a couple of concentrations of power. Uh, obviously, we talk about the Missouri Valley Conference. You have the Big Sky out west, but in the east, you have the Colonial Athletic Association. Right, you have the HBCU conference down there as well. Those are kind of your four big powerhouses of conferences. They can kind of pull whoever they want to. If they feel like expanding at any time, people move around. People, universities move around these conferences in the FCS all the time. So James Madison is jumping to the FBS level. It means they're leaving the Colonial Athletic Association, the CAA, and they're no longer the allowed to compete for conference championships there. Well, that was last year. This year they will compete in the Sun Belt. So, you know, makes sense. Uh, the CAA has said, uh, well, we're losing James Madison, obviously like our best team of the last 20 years. Let's just replace them with like everybody. five schools. Everybody. We're just going to invite everybody. Whoever <laughs> sticks, sticks. So they've already announced that they're adding Hampton, Monmouth, and Stony Brook. North Carolina A&T is coming in this season in everything except for football. Then 2023 football is coming into the CAA as well for North Carolina A&T. The last edition just happened today. Last one so far, at least. That's Campbell <laughs> University is coming into the CAA as well, starting in 2023. So the CAA just got a lot bigger. They are obviously trying to start competing with Missouri Valley Conference as far as market size, as far as you know, playoff consideration in the FCS level. This is a big move for them, and it'll be interesting to see how competitive the teams they're adding can actually be. At the same time, you know, James Madison was the crowning the crown jewel of that conference. So yeah. adding a bunch of teams here makes a lot of sense. It's kind of the same thing as when Oklahoma, Texas left. The Big 12 added four schools instead of just two. James Madison leaves. Let's bring in five other schools. <laughs> I mean, dude, that's kind of what – granted, it was only four teams to replace two teams, but kind of similar to what the Big 12 did. Right, that's what I literally just said. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tug. Welcome to the show. It was just as hilarious. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, so last thing about college news. Uh, it's interesting here. Uh, Under Armour has agreed to a settlement with UCLA. They're paying UCLA $67.5 million. Now, why are they doing that? Um, so Under Armour was the athletic wear provider, the athletic wear sponsor of UCLA. And when COVID hit, UCLA obviously had to stop playing games. The Pac-12 literally shut down for a while. They thought they weren't going to have a season at all. So Under Armour tried to say, hey, let's, this is the perfect opportunity for the force majeure, con the force majeure part of the contract that almost every contract has. This is something out of both of our control. Let's just pause our deal. And we'll come back and revisit this 
at a later date once once you are actually playing games again. Now, the problem with that for UCLA is they're already $100 million in debt in the athletic department. They couldn't stop receiving Under Armour's money. They couldn't afford to stop bringing in that income. So they said, um, actually, that's a breach of contract. We didn't have anything set up to handle this exact situation, and we expect we will be back having some football games. You need to still be paying us for this year. Okay. So neither side's argument makes a ton of sense, according to what the contract actually said. Under Armour's position was slightly weaker. COVID was unprecedented. Nobody had anything like this written into a contract, of course. So UCLA had to beef up their lawsuit. Countersued UCLA with saying, hey, actually, you broke the contract too is you covered up the Under Armour logo on your football jerseys with social justice patches. Now, we appreciate your stance on social justice, but we lost all that advertising of Under Armour that we were supposed to be getting out of this deal. Now, obviously, UCLA still had a better leg to stand on. (laughs) Yeah, but Under Under Armour had two legs. Which is why Under Armour is the one paying UCLA. But it's nowhere near the $200 million that the original contract was for. It's $67.5 million. And uh, UCLA has new athletic wear partners in Nike and Jordan. God, I hate that. I hate that Jordan doesn't just make shoes now. Nothing annoys me more than seeing the Jordan logo with its little basketball shit going on on a football jersey. Then let me introduce you to the team up north. Oh, I know. I trust me. I don't worry. I've <laughs> held that grudge for a while. Good. I mean, the good news out of this, I guess, is that UCLA is now six, uh, thirty-two and a half million dollars in debt. That's a win, right? So it's if anybody was still questioning why they joined the Big Ten, boom, there Gavin it is. Newsom. <laughs> I don't know why this is so hard to figure out, my man. Right. Oh, man. Anyway, uh, UCLA is getting some money finally, so that's good for them. (laughs) Uh, And I think that's about it for college news, unless you had anything else to add on that story. I do not. Let's move on to non-NFL pro news. Only a couple things here. And, Doug, i got to say it came as a shock to all of us. I don't know how we didn't see this coming. Uh, It was such a good league. Uh, But Major League Football has already folded. Are we sure it was a good league? It was only around for two weeks. I don't know, I'm just going with whatever they say on the news all the time. Um, it was so young. It had such a life ahead of it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stop before truly, I get us in trouble. But Truly an angel. Uh, now, Major League Football um, had hotels. They were paying for the hotels. Right. Well, they were renting the hotels. Um, right, and, and, and they event- had coaching staffs that they were promising to pay in the future. And apparently, they had investors promising to pay Major League Football in the future. Uh, right. The issue is the future never came for any of those things. Um, Except so the ho- for the bills, the bills yeah, always come due. The, the bills came, and uh, the hotels literally <laughs> packed up the players' gear and put it in the uh, put it in the lobby and said, "You need to find somewhere else to stay." Um, Apparently the players came back from a day of training and the deadbolts on the doors were changed. <laughs> I don't I don't know what they were doing over there, but these guys were uh, 
there's something else. I I have nothing to add to this. It's just it, it was almost predictable. Like it was almost laughably predictable. Unfortunately, yes. Um I never bought in to the major league football. Same. Always seemed real sketchy to me, especially reading their you know, trying to put together a financial summary and a you know forecast outlook of it just it never made any sense. But you know, still would have been cool. Hopefully those guys get an opportunity somewhere. Uh, one of those places they could get an opportunity is of course the XFL coming up very soon. We've been talking about right. that for a little while. Uh, but there is some information. It was actually released at the same time as the coaching staffs were announced, but we didn't talk about this because obviously the coaching staffs were more important. Um, so the XFL has previously announced a partnership with Breakaway Data. Now, what is Breakaway Data? Breakaway is essentially a company that does a whole ton of data analytics on athletes. They just they do performance data. They measure your everything about how you're doing, you know, your your heart rate, your how much you're sweating, uh, brain activity. I mean, it's like crazy how much detail they can get into um, as as you're running, as you're playing the game, and they can be during practice. They have some devices that can measure you at during actual games as well. Some of that stuff is being integrated in the NFL right now. Some of that stuff is already in Power 5 football. Um, Elite 11 camps use a lot of this data. Um, it's it's all over the place already. So this is exactly what the XFL needed for performance data. Uh, this is a legitimate company with legitimate applications already in professional sports. So to see the XFL partner with a reputable company like this for this kind of data is really important and it's kind of impressive that they got this already. I'll be intrigued to see if they can start using this to kind of do some more research into, you know, I hate to say it, but concussions, it's the big deal, right? So what, well, force, what... Of, what force of impact that we can measure, you know, what what's the minimum, what's the maximum, what, you know, those type of, of questions, like what is the average force of impact that causes a concussion? Because now these things are real time, right? You have a guy up in the right. box with the app uh, on the coaching side of it. You get that hit, it reports that, and all of a sudden you're pulling him off the field before to get him evaluated before anything even happens. That is the ideal way to move forward with this. So apparently the NFL is already starting to do that themselves with some breakaway mouthpieces. Yep, uh, getting some real-time information on head-to-head collisions. You see, that yeah. only works if you require the NFL players to use the mouthpiece. Right, which is something the XFL could do that the NFL doesn't, right? So it could be, like you're saying, could be even better for that. And this is, this is the perfect way to get involved in that kind of research. Yeah. Um, it, and it's good for the athletes, too. You know, you want to see how your body's performing yeah. and benchmark against your own self. And keep improving. So this is you know, this is really great. I love it, man. I love it. Sorry, I just realized something. Uh oh. We good? I'm... Yeah. No, I just realized it's time for our NFCs preview. If you're ready for it. Oh boy. 
What do you got, man? All right. So, NFC East standings from last year. The Cowboys took a division uh, winning 12 games, five losses. Uh, For some reason. <laughs> the I Eagles. Didn't give them permission to win 12 games. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, the Eagles squeaked into the wild card with a 9 and 8 season. And the Washington Commanders came in at 7 and 10. And the New York Giants cleaned house on the uh, coaching side of the ball uh, with the only changes in the NFC East after going 4-13. Uh, projected outcomes this year. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys are projected to win nine games uh, with a 9.6 on NFL Network. The Giants are projected to win six. Uh, I would have rounded this up to seven, uh, considering it's 6.5. So we'll call them 7-10. and 10. Uh, the Eagles are projected oh, you can at round all these up actually. Yeah, but. the Eagles are projected to win. Actually, yeah. So the Cowboys would be ten. Uh, Eagles would be ten at nine point eight, and the Commanders are projected with eight wins at seven point eight. Like I said, Giants are the only one with any head coaching changes here, or coaching changes in general. Uh, they've hired Brian Dable, the Bills' former offensive coordinator, uh, sending off Joe Judge back to New England with his tails be- tail between his legs like we've seen happen with just about every coach off the Belichick coaching tree. Uh, they're hiring Mike Kafka, the Chiefs QB co- former Chiefs QB coach, uh, sending, send, sending Freddie Kitchens down to uh, the wrong USC down in South Carolina. Uh, as a senior football analyst, talk about the, the fall of a career there for, for Freddie Kitchens. Well, I was just about to say, the only uh, Patriots assistant who hasn't come crawling back to New England is uh, Bill O'Brien, who's now an offensive analyst at, at Alabama. So no. Freddie Kitchens has taken that route, right? There's there, there's another one there. Or Brian actually... Floyd. Brian Flores didn't Bill, go back to New England. Bill O'Brien's a coordinator now, I think, at Alabama. Oh, Still. Wow, <laughs> and finally, in a lateral move, Don Martindale, former Ravens defensive coordinator, is headed on over uh, after the Giants fired Patrick Graham, who is now taking over for Josh McDaniel's uh, defensive room out in Las Vegas. Dude, what do you think of these yeah. coaching changes? Is it going to help? What, what What do you think? So I love the Brian Dable hire. That's probably about the best hire the Giants could have possibly had. Brian Dable is a name that's been on head coaching radars for a while. It seems like he was just waiting for the right opportunity. And this is that kind of opportunity. Now, you have to remember, everyone's hating on Daniel Jones for a reason. He hasn't been great. At the same time, before Brian Dable got to Buffalo, Josh Allen sucked too. And now Josh Allen is in MVP conversations. If there is a guy who can turn around Daniel Jones, it would probably be Brian Dable. Give him a season or two to work with this guy. And if he can turn into anything, Brian Dable is the guy who can unlock that. I will also say Mike Kafka coming in as a promotion offensive coordinator here from being Patrick Mahomes' right-hand guy uh, makes a lot of sense. If Eric Bieniemy isn't going to get a head coaching job, at least somebody on that side of the ball got a promotion somewhere. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, this is this is a fantastic staff. 
to figure out if you can work with Daniel Jones. And if you can't, this is a fantastic staff to bring in a rookie quarterback. Thanks. So this only works out for the Giants as far as I can see. It's Yes, it will be hard to win games with the Giants roster over the next year or two, but this is probably best-case scenario for the Giants. No, 100%. I, I, I love these hires. I think it's good. The issue is they are lacking talent everywhere. Um, wide receivers are trash. They, they've got Saquon for at least three games. Um, but other than that, there's there's not much going on there. On the defense, not much either. So Don Martindale has work cut out for him on that defense as well. Absolutely. But, you know, it's Don Martindale. He'll be fine. <laughs> all right. All of that being said here, man. I'm looking at these coaching staffs. I think you agree with me here. They're all too new. Um, I don't see any any hot seats, uh, even on the coordinator side, do you? If anybody's on the hot seat, it would actually be Mike McCarthy, and not because of a win-loss record or anything. It's just because everybody kind of agrees he's not amazing, and there may be another option out there. <laughs> like, uh, not technically a hot seat. But, you know, if Sean Payton's on the market, the Cowboys would be. Don't don't tell Miami. Don't tell Miami. Well, right. They're not allowed to be in the running anymore, so you'll be <laughs> fine. Uh, but, no, Ron Rivera's not going anywhere. Nick Sirianni made a Ron a wild card for some reason. So, yeah. he's fine. And, then, yeah, Brian Dibble's in his first year. Give him at least at least two years. Yeah, usually the standard is three, so that's usually what I'm looking for is coaches that are going into their third year that are struggling. But yeah, even but River- bad organizations give less time, so give them Correct. at least two. Well, and, and Riverboat Ron is pretty solid, too. I would say so. Should be. And, you know, with uh, Carson Wentz coming in, maybe they think they have a shot at making the wild card themselves this year. The commander struggles are not due to their head coach. Uh, a lot of it's actually due right. to uh, their ownership. <laughs> but I guess we should look at these rosters here. I mean, I suppose. And there I did are... start us off talking about Carson Wentz coming in. Obviously yeah. a big addition there for the commanders. It feels like that trade happened 12 years ago at this point with how much news has been going on this offseason. But it was just a couple months ago. And uh, Carson Wentz is new quarterback in Washington. Um, Man, I feel so bad for Taylor Heineke. He looks so good in that one playoff game. I know. Um, but I also cannot <laughs> that, blame that the commanders for doing this. That happens. And you've talked about it before, actually, where a backup quarterback can come in for a game or two. Yep. Defenses don't have any film on him. He lights it up for some reason. And then you can't replicate that back to back to back. So you need a guy who can consistently do that. Is that Carson Wentz? That's debatable, but, you know, I don't know that it's Jalen Hurts either. So <laughs> I don't know if it's Daniel Jones. I will say I have more faith in, in Jalen Hurts this year, specifically looking at the wide receiver room down there. Uh, A.J. Brown was a massive acquisition. He fits that offense. It's a good complementary style of play to Devontae Smith. My big question mark about the Eagles wide receiver room right now is Jalen Rager. Can he stay healthy? Um, right. Fantastic talent when he's healthy. But you've said this, this is quotes from you. 
the best ability is availability. And Jalen Rager just has not been available for most games through his first two seasons. Well, and let's be real. That draft pick was confusing at the time because he was probably the third, fourth best receiver still on the board when they took him in the first round. So, you know, Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown, that's a good combination. We'll see if Jalen Rager can keep up with those two. (laughs) Uh, But, no, I'm looking at Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson. What a wild combination that's going to be. That's just going to be tough. Samuel coming back healthy. Wow. So that's my thing. Those are great picks, but those are just going to be tough to keep up with. Right? They're they're great wide receivers. They're fast, but that's that's the – they're both fast. Right, whereas AJ Brown is your physical deep threat guy, and Devontae Smith is your I'm gonna get it to you underneath and, and let you run. It doesn't hurt to have speed. <laughs> I say you that know? as if it's a bad thing, and then I look at right. my wide receiving court with Jalen exactly. Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Exactly. Uh if you want a balanced receiving core, look at the Cowboys, I guess. Yeah. And nobody wants that situation. So <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out why. Why they traded Amari Cooper when they have I, – I would have traded Michael Gallup before Amari Cooper, 100%. Well, Michael Gallup is younger. Amari Cooper's been on the decline, and there are comparable available options in free agency who haven't already turned you down. Uh, so if I were the Cowboys, I would be looking to sign Odell Beckham Jr. right now. Um, That's a mid – I've talked about this. Because he's still on a torn ACL, he toured in the Super Bowl. You're not gonna be. He's not gonna be useful at least until week eight, at the earliest. At least bring him in, learn the playbook a little bit, be helpful, and make sure nobody else can scoop him up in the meantime. But but the the whole deal of what I'm gonna be careful of there is I don't want to sign him for him to then not be ready the entire season. I want to be able to let him get healthy, which assumes six seven months. So you're talking about just now he's finally getting back to full health on that knee, or at least eighty percent where he can start working out. Then I want him to get back to, to physical fitness. It, it's just, it's too soon to, to sign OBJ right now. And I, I will beat that drum up and down. Um, I mean, okay. To, to me, he's a, a <laughs> I was going to say, to me, he's a mid-October to early November signing. Uh, tight end's got to be one of the weakest position groups in this division, for sure. Oh, that's uh, across the is, board, too. Yeah. <sighs> Is the best tight end in this division, Dalton Schultz? I actually did, don't think so. I'm going to go with Dallas Goddard. He's okay sometimes. I don't. Dalton Schultz trust is him. good sometimes. That's kind of my point, though. I guess. <laughs> I I oh, would man. take the highest I, potential I, is Daniel Bellinger. Gotta say, the rookie. Oh, hundred um, percent. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we didn't even talk about running backs, though. Uh, obviously, I know. I, I was just going to jump around saying what I liked about teams, but yeah. Obviously, the Cowboys with Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard. That's that's the one deepest of the best room. one-two punches. Yeah. In the in the NFL, um, Saquon Barkley's healthy for now. Hopefully, for now. Hopefully. <laughs> um, um, I don't like Miles Sanders. I don't know why. He's fine, but I just don't like him. Yeah. Um, 
personal bias. If he wants to come on the show and defend himself, I will change my tune very quickly. Right. I'm I'm easily swayed. This will be the year. I actually think Kenny, Gain, Kenny Gain will take a step forward. The Eagles have been working that way for a while uh, in that running back by committee, but I, I think this is going to be the yeah. year that he kind of takes that step forward and, and secures that number one spot. And if Antonio Gibson can play, I know he had a scary potential injury. I don't think he's actually out at, at all. If he can stay healthy, I think Antonio Gibson could be pushing – Zeke and Tony Pollard for one of the best running backs in this division, which is oh, 100%. crazy. I said that because Zeke and Tony Pollard are on the same team, so <laughs> that's you know, I I fully expect that in the next two years, one of those guys will be traded because yep. it's going to be this is too much value. You're going to have to, right? All right, moving on down here. Doug, I'm going to give this to you just in general. Where's your favorite line this year on the uh, in the NFC East? Offensive side of the ball. We'll stick offensive. <laughs> okay. And you do have to really pick hard. one. I would say probably the Cowboys, but I don't love it. Uh, it's almost more because of the problems that other lines have than anything about the Cowboys in particular. Now, don't get me wrong, Tyron Smith, Zach Martin are fantastic when they're on the field. Um, I don't know anything about Tyler Smith yet. I don't know anything about Terrence Steele, honestly, and he's not even a rookie. Uh, I like Tyler Biedash, but he's basically a rookie. Um <laughs> When he was at Wisconsin, he was great. Um, how's that translate? Wisconsin right? does tend to to make some pretty good centers. When when Zach Martin is on, he's the best guard in the NFL. So I'll give it to the Cowboys, but I don't love the line as a whole. Nothing, yeah. nothing <laughs> out of these. Nothing out of any of these lines really sticks out to me. Evan Neal's going to be fantastic, but he's well. The, the one, the one thing I would say that sticks out to me is the tackle room for the Giants. I know you were just getting into that. So yeah. Evan Neal, Andrew Thomas, that combination that is a incredible young and big, big, huge. Those huge are, those guys are duo both of Like that is your left and right tackle for the next fifteen years, if you can keep them happy. Keep them healthy, keep them happy. That's your next decade plus of tackles. That's that's exactly what you draft for. So, <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. But the guards, the guards in the center for the Giants suck. So I could, couldn't say that line's my favorite. <laughs> I was I was gonna say, look, like looking at this all the way through, I think there's gonna be a lot of sacks in the NFC East. Um, yeah. So let's. Yeah. Let's move on down. Let's get on down to the defense. I got to say I mean, that Jordan Davis pick <laughs> was fantastic when it happened. Um, that absolutely stellar pick by the Eagles there. And now, now you got to worry about Jordan Davis and Fletcher Cox, which is huge because they both need regular rotations. Right. That's insane. That, yeah, that's a basically a perfect scheme fit. If somebody's going to draft Jordan Davis – 
It should have been the Eagles, and that worked out beautifully. But you said that there's going to be a lot of sacks out of this division this year. I think most of them are going to come from Chase Young and Montez Sweat. I mean, that's that's a beautiful one-two punch of defensive ends. No, absolutely, and you you can't you have to choose one because you can't double team both. Um, Oh, that's it's insane, man. Uh, As far as the Cowboys go, their defensive line to me. Demarcus Lawrence is ancient, and it just seems relatively meh. It's average to me. I don't know. I don't know what you're thinking about it. Neville Callimore is better than I want to give him credit for. Um, I don't know why. Again, he's just one of those players I don't really care for. But yeah, Demarcus Lawrence is the best thing you have going, and he's 87 years old now. So good luck. Honestly, the Giants probably have the second best defensive line in this division probably behind the Commanders. Just the combination of Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams. Those two in themselves make up for Justin Ellis and Jalen Holmes. So. Aw, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. The, the linebacker core. I actually really like a lot of these linebacking cores, uh, at least to some degree. Leighton Vander Esch, again, he's somebody who's getting there that needs to retire. But Micah Parsons might be – I'm sorry. I, I love the way he's all over the field. Micah Parsons might be one of my favorite linebackers in this division. Leighton Van Der Esch is like 26 years old. You just, I, he had one good season. I mixed so – oh, my God. I mixed him up with Sean Lee, and I'm so upset with myself. That is brutal. Sean Lee is definitely retired by now. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tug. Welcome to the show. <laughs> that's That's amazing. <laughs> No, so uh, the the front seven, like as a front seven as a whole, the defensive line, I give it to the commanders, but the front seven as a whole, I might be inclined to give that to the Giants because now you're adding in Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, the, the only good thing about the Cowboys' defense right now is that linebacking core. So that's, well, that's nice to see. But, and, uh, and, and Trayvon Diggs. Depending on what time. way that, 50, yeah, I was gonna say percent of the time. Depending on what way that pass goes, but yeah, Trayvon Diggs. Then looking at defensive back rooms as a whole, ooh, these are fine, I guess. I wouldn't want any of these guys playing for me. I mean, we're we're already but... covering it. Everyone was freaking out <laughs> last year that that Trayvon Diggs had such a good season, uh, and he was he was playing fantastic at least in the interception column. The issue was he also led the league in percent of pass attempts completed against him and touchdown right. percentage. Right. He was he is a ball hawk, which is fantastic if you're a safety. He's not a safety. Um, but he's honestly, too fast to be put back there at safety. You kind of want him man to man. Yeah, but if you put him so. in if you put him at deep safety in a cover one and just tell him to go get the deep ball, that's I know, but you have Malik Hooker, who does exactly that already when he's healthy. So oh, that's fair. Okay, the, okay the best when? Right, fair enough. One season at Ohio State, he was really good at that, and then never before or since. Uh, the best defensive back in this division is probably Xavier McKinney. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Darius Slay is getting older, and it's starting to show, but he's still very good. And that's about all I care about with these defensive backs. Like, yeah, 
talk to me about Kendall Fuller. I don't care. Uh, good luck, Marcus Epps, with your role as a safety. I don't even know who you are. So, you know, <laughs> that's what I got for these defensive back rooms. Um, at, at least, at least Brian Anger is in this division, and Jamie Gillen, Scottish Hammer, great <laughs> punting, great punters. Tress ways in this division. Honestly, <laughs> the most exciting thing about the special teams out of this division is going to be the Cowboys and the uh, Eagles returners. Those are going to be some electric returns, uh, which is amazing because that is what the Eagles used to be known for with right. Deshaun Jackson. Right. Right, and if uh, I think Kenny Gainwell should be the main returner, uh, Jalen Rager is going to get some touches, but Gainwell's too good at that. Let him loose. It's going to be fun to watch. Yep. So I guess let's go ahead and jump to our picks for who's going to win All this right, division. I'll, I'll, throw Ben's out, I'll throw Ben's out there first. Uh, he's got the Eagles taking the division, the Cowboys in second, the Commanders in third, and the Giants pulling up the rear. Doug, I'm going to give it to you, man. What What are you thinking? I don't have that much faith in the Eagles. I know they added A.J. Brown and Jordan Davis. I don't have that much faith in the Eagles as, like, an organization. And I don't believe in Nick Sirianni either. Um, I just think the Cowboys are too talented to fall apart. And that's been the downfall of my predictions for several years now. Uh, it worked out last year, though. We'll see what happens. So, uh, I, I think the Cowboys are too talented for me not to pick them to win the division and they put the Eagles second. I don't think the Eagles make the wild card again, though, this year. Um, I, I just don't see it. I don't believe in Jalen Hurts and – that running back room is too undecided. That offensive line is too gross to me. Tra- uh, Jason Kelsey is getting very old. There's right. talks of him retiring last year. Right. He probably should. All right. I, I'm going to take the Giants over the Commanders, though. That's my hot take, I guess. Um, hottest take in, in these standings. Uh, I don't think Carson Wentz is going to perform at all. And I say the commanders are in line for another top 10 pick at the very least. Last year might've been Carson Wentz's first year staying entirely healthy. And it's because he was behind probably. That is the... definitely not true. Didn't he like break both of his ankles one play? I, he played every game. <laughs> true. Doesn't mean he was healthy. <laughs> um, but you're getting to my point because. That was behind the best offensive line in football last year. Now he's behind the commander's offensive line. Taylor Heineke is going to be starting games by week six. Um, So I'm with you. I don't think it's that hot of a take. I think the Giants are going to come in third. uh, The commanders are going to come in last. Where I disagree with you is, man, I don't really believe in either of these teams. I I don't like the Cowboys. I don't like the Eagles. Neither both made some improvements. Neither really made anything that really separates them for me. Um, the Cowboys have a history of underperforming, and the Eagles just came out of nowhere. And now they have an improved receiving core. Yeah, their running back room is still sus, but look what the giant, uh, the Bills have done without a running back room. Um, 
I don't know. I, I'm going to give it to the Eagles here. I think Jalen Hurts is going to take a step forward, uh, and we'll see see where that leaves us. But I'm going to go with the Eagles in first, Cowboys in second, uh, Giants in third, and the Commanders pulling up the rear. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I kind of hear you. At the same time, the Bills and the Eagles situations are so markedly different, right? Like, yes, I can, I can say the running back rooms for both teams are awful, but I can also say the quarterback rooms, the quarterback room for the. Uh, for the Bills, it's a lot better. So I, I just don't trust in the, the offensive line uh, as much as I trust in the Cowboys' offensive line, which, again, feels foolhardy, but I'm going to stick with that, and I'm going to take the Cowboys, I guess. Fair enough. So, But, all right, man, it's time for your favorite part of the show. And I, I, Absolutely. Uh, you ready? You've been waiting for this all <laughs> offseason. I, I very much so have. And uh, not only that. But we actually have some special guests coming on the show with us at the same time. So I think it's time to bring those guys in. We're going to be talking about the upcoming Big Ten football season, finally. Uh, our guests this week to help us do so are the hosts of a five-star rated podcast, the Wannabe Walk-Ons, uh, where they not only talk about their beloved Nebraska Cornhuskers, but they also apparently are the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. Now let's bring on Ben and Drew. Oh wow, we're we're very vertical. There we go. Oh wait, we're fine. We're figuring it out. <laughs> All right. Beautiful. There it is. That's I got it. Guys. Sorry guys. Oh, you're oh, good. We're good. How are you doing? Do well. Fantastic. How are you guys? Good. Wonderful. Man. Can, can Thanks you... for having us on. Oh yeah! Thanks for having us on. Can, can you hear yeah. us? Okay, everything all right there? Yes, yes. absolutely. Yes. Not our typical setup, so we want to make sure that we're. Uh, no, you look doing great. All right. You sound great. All the above. Thank I have you. to ask before we get started with the Big Ten, though. How in the world did you become the official podcast of a beer drinking guild? I want to get on that train. Um. So it's a it's a a very simple story. We asked. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. Nice. Wow. Yeah. So there's a few <laughs> there's a few podcasts that cover craft beer in the state of Nebraska and none of them went to the craft brewers guild and was like, Hey, can we be your podcast? Um, we wanted to do a Husker podcast, but the only way that drew would agree to do that with me is if we brought beer into it as well. So each episode we sample a different craft brewery in the state of Nebraska, um, while we talk about football. So we, we profile these small businesses. We talk about this, this football team that we love so much and it just blends really well together. Yeah, that and the, beautiful. Yeah, the beer is coming handy, you know, definitely, and to get us through the past few seasons. So, <laughs> right, I'm sure. In hand, yeah. So, what are you drinking right now? Uh, right now, we've got a saison from uh, Cross Strain. It's a farmhouse ale. That, uh, it's fooder aged. They, they age it in these special barrels. It's a little bit sour, but just a good beer. Yeah. I don't normally do sours either, so if I drink this. You know, it's got to be good. Yeah, nice, nice lemongrass notes, real refreshing. It's 100 degrees right now in Nebraska, even though it's oh, like man. 8 o'clock right now. It's just ridiculous. Right. Yeah, This is a really <laughs> nice beer for the kind of weather we're dealing with right now. All right, I love to hear it. Yeah. I'm from Kentucky, so oh, okay. I'm a bourbon guy, and we do a lot of beer in bourbon barrels. Yeah. And uh, makes for some interesting notes. So, 
love hearing yeah. you talk about beer a little bit. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we have a whole conference to talk about here, and I am a huge Ohio State fan. If you couldn't tell from my microphone, I have the Buckeye stickers on here. Uh, so I figured I have some information on the Big Ten East, but I needed some ringers on the Big Ten West. Perfect. Because this yeah. is one of the most competitive divisions I have seen in a very long time, especially for this upcoming season, because not only do we have Iowa, Purdue, Minnesota, and Wisconsin all practically tying last year, but Nebraska was the best three and nine team in college football history. Facts. Yeah, yeah. you wouldn't be saying that if Ohio State <laughs> was the best three and nine team in in college football history. It, it hurts True. just as bad. <laughs> True. Uh, but wow, uh, I I legitimately believe this could be a great year for the Cornhuskers. And it would just take a couple of tweaks. Yeah. So it's like it's right there to be almost across the board a competitive division. And uh, let's go ahead and jump into what happened last year. And then we'll work our way through some losses, some additions, and then get into our predictions for the season. Sounds great. Yeah. So in the Big Ten East, uh, we have the, the recent powers. I guess you could say uh, Ohio state obviously finishing second for the first time in a very long time. Uh, the team up North did beat us. You had to give them one every now and then. Um, but Michigan state right up there as well. And Penn state with a down year, still finishing pretty near the top of most, most college football. So, uh, and Maryland's offense is very exciting too. They won their bowl game in a big way. This is set up to be another, Basically, run-of-the-mill Big Ten East, I would say. You're looking at Ohio State. You're looking at the other one that I can't say. And then uh, Michigan State and Penn State battling for that third spot. He, he's talking about Michigan for our listeners out there. <laughs> are, are, we're allowed to say. Yeah, we're yeah. yeah, yeah, we can. You can. Yeah. You can. I might hate you, but you can say it. <laughs> you know what? You know, we have something in common. Uh, with Michigan, and, and that's the fact that they claim 97 is their national championship. We claim 97 is our national championship. <laughs> well, I love you for that. Yeah. Claim it, it all you want to. Well, it's all yours. You know what? The national championship trophy, it's not in their trophy room. It's in ours. Hell right. uh, they they didn't defeat Peyton Manning in Tennessee uh, massively. They they had a, a dogfight on their hands. So, and they ducked out of the Nebraska-Michigan game that year when, when Nebraska called for it. So, as far as we're concerned, they're a bunch of cowards up north. I love you already. Thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> Those cowards up north. It's a new term. I love it. There you go. Yeah, but but be careful how you arrange um, yes. T, C, yeah. U, and N. Just, just saying. 100%. Uh, so I, I would say uh, disappointing year for Ohio State, actually. Uh, which is a weird thing to say when you go 11-2 and two and win the Rose Bowl. But at the same time, even Ryan Day came out and said, this is not good enough. We recognize that. And we have a whole new defensive staff now at Ohio State. That kind of thing is fascinating to see in a time when the rest of the division is extending everybody as much as possible. Mel Tucker signs a huge extension. James Franklin signs a huge extension. How much does that, guy, does that affect you guys over in the Big Ten West seeing essentially coaching staffs being locked up for a decade over on the other side of the conference. 
Um, I don't know how much effect it has on us. I mean, we've got in our on our side of the conference, we've got Kirk Ferentz, um, who's been around forever. You got Pat Fitzgerald, right. who's been around forever. Paul Christie ain't going anywhere. Um, PJ Fleck has another good year. And this whole conference is just loaded with really comfortable coaches, um, outside of maybe Nebraska. So <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, um, for us, it's it's. It's a strange division. It's it's very wide open, like you said. And so um, these teams, I think, are really focused just on winning their division. Um, we worry about the East when it comes to, you know, I think getting to the conference championship. I, I think the other thing, too, to consider is just the entire landscape of college football is changing so much with the addition of NIL. We're really right. starting to learn how much money there is out there in this sport. Um, we knew it was there for coaches. We know it's there for players. You get a guy like James Franklin who signs a, an extension. Do I buy in that he'll run that whole thing out, or do I buy in that he'll take the next best offer? You know, that's true. I, I, same thing with a PJ Fleck in Minnesota. Those guys put on this kind of air about themselves, where they're all about building this this hard fought culture, and they want guys to be their guys. But they've had a history in the past of jumping ship right when the goods getting good, and they can get the next best offer. And we know that there's money out there to to pay those things off. We know that there's some some power schools from the past who are going to be looking for new coaches. It's always happening every year. So extensions to me don't mean a whole lot. Uh, in Nebraska terms, as soon as a coach gets an extension, they're fired the next year. So, you know, that's that's kind of what we've been up against for the past, what, decade? Yeah. So yeah, we're still paying, I think. Three, so extensions, three you know, whatever. They look good in your hair. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess let's go ahead and talk about that. Obviously, there is one hot seat in the conference. Everybody knows who it is. What would you guys expect out of Scott Frost in order to see him keep his job? I'm going to answer first because yeah. Drew, I think, has an even more interesting answer. Okay. I personally think that in order for Scott to keep his job, he's probably going to be looking at a, a bowl game this year. If, I, if I'm speaking from what I personally want for him, I really think it needs to be eight wins or more. Um, six games on this schedule, you could somewhat trip your way into that. Um, but eight games means that you're having to win near the back half of the schedule, which is really where Nebraska is going to have to make their hay. And if they can take away one or two of their last four games, that shows me a little bit more momentum for Frost um, that I want to see building upon that. Six wins to me doesn't cut it, but I think that's what it's going to take from an administrative standpoint in order for Frost to stay. But Drew has a different opinion. Yeah, um, I don't think that Frost can get fired this year. I think when they brought him back, they were essentially giving him a couple of years and then and giving him an opportunity to make wholesale changes where he needed to, especially on the offensive side. Um, I think a bowl game is is expected, um, but I don't know if there's anything he can do outside of maybe another three and nine season, which doesn't seem realistic. I don't know if there's much he can do to get fired this year. I think Trev wants him to, you know, have an opportunity to have a couple of years with these changes and a different approach, um, taking more of a CEO style rather than a head coach um, that he's been the past few years. So, and and Drew's kind of validated in the sense that you don't bring in Mickey Joseph uh, from LSU to coach your wide receivers and, and make him your you know associate head coach. You don't bring in Mark Whipple from Pitt, who just had the best year of his career outside of maybe winning a Super Bowl and winning a national championship at UMass. You don't bring in some of these names if you're not going to give them the runway to do their thing. So um, 
I, I can see where Drew's point kind of comes into play that, that Trev Alberts, the AD at Nebraska is giving Scott a much longer runway than maybe we're not hearing. And that's why that uh, undefined metrics hasn't been announced because it might be a, a win total over two seasons as opposed to a win total this year. That would be fascinating. I would counter that nobody thought three and nine was possible this past season. Either. <laughs> so it's <laughs> very true. Uh, so you've said it's it's been hard for Nebraska to keep up any momentum throughout the season. I would say that's been true for most of the Big Ten West in recent years. Uh, I know, for example, Iowa fought their way very hard to get to a great start of the year. Number three, number two in the country at one point, and then they lose four of the next six games. Uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, they both have kind of have a history of that, though they did win their bowl games this past season. The surprise for me out of the Big Ten West was more than Nebraska doing what they did. I would say was Purdue coming on as strong as they did towards that middle to back end of the season. Do you guys see any way it's possible for Purdue to keep up that kind of momentum and maybe even still contend in the division? Yeah. Uh, Drew, why don't you take this one first and then <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll give my rebuttal. We, we discussed this on our last podcast. I don't know if it's out yet. Um, our last episode, we disagreed a lot on Purdue. So I don't see them continuing that success. Um, they're, they have an offense, obviously, that's, you know, clicking uh, with uh, Aiden O'Connell there at their quarterback, but they lose David Bell. They they don't have Milton Wright this year. They lost um, Jackson Anthrop. At, at, that's a top three receivers right there that are out the window. They didn't have a run game, so they really rely on this pass game. Um, I think the last time that they had as bad of a run game as they did last year, they went 1-11. Um, that Their record just isn't quite – jive with what they were doing there and then their defense it was go it was good it was on you know it was average you know i think it was like a top 50 defense overall but you're in a you're in a division that has wisconsin and minnesota and iowa who have these really outstanding defenses um who can who can have great years just leaning on defenses and broken offenses um, I think Purdue will need a lot of things to go right for them. I think their defense will have to take a huge step forward, and they're going to have to find some some pieces in this pass game um, to to contend again to get to that nine win mark. And I disagree with that. Um, I I think that Purdue is poised to have, um, whereas maybe last year was a quiet season for them, but a quiet nine wins. I think this year is going to be a breakout season for the the Jeff Brom offense. Uh, I think Aiden O'Connell is the kind of leader that Brom has been waiting for. I think that he is is poised to take that team exactly where they want to go. One of the big things that we've touched on a lot with Nebraska in our show and that you hear a lot in our local media is about identity and offense. And Nebraska has really struggled to identify what they are outside of the quarterback run game. And, and we can get into talking about Adrian Martinez till the cows come home, but we're not going to. We know what Nebraska has been the past four seasons and their identity wasn't something that you could build a team upon or, or success upon with Purdue and that passing attack in a six year quarterback. Brom has been building up to this kind of success with his lack of run offense. And I think that they're going to reach their head and come out with potentially a nine or a 10 win regular season. I think that the West is actually decided 
with the Purdue-Wisconsin game. And I think that does come down to an offense that is going to absolutely light up the Big Ten West defenses because a lot of the defenses in the West really struggle from a secondary perspective. Uh, that's where a lot of weaknesses are. And if Purdue's line can hold, I think Aiden O'Connell's going to throw it around the yard and uh, shock the world, so to say. I absolutely agree with both of you at the same time. That makes <laughs> sense. They it's... lost a lot, but at the same time, this is – I love Jeff Brom and I love Aiden O'Connell. And I think, I think both realities can be true. Yeah. It's, uh, hard, it's hard to say. And they were, and they were really good against top quality teams. They had their right. four losses were all top 30 teams, you know, teams that finished in the top 30 in the final eight people. So it's not like they were, you know, getting blown out by the good teams or just feasting on cupcakes. Like, you know, they were two and two against the top 25. So I understand the, I understand the argument for, for, why they were great last year. I just don't know if it continues. Yeah, of course they did lose a couple of important pieces very high in the draft. If you want to start taking us that direction. Yeah. So I'm looking at this list here and it's something I already knew, but it's something that's worth highlighting. It just shows how deep the big 10 really is. This looks like the most drafted conference, at least that we've seen to this point. Uh, You're looking at, (laughs) we're looking at seven first round picks Uh, three of them wide receivers, two of them going back-to-back from the Ohio State. Aiden Hutchinson going number two overall. It's a huge lift for the Lions out in Detroit. Uh, I got to say, guys, I don't know how you feel about it, but Tyler Linderbaum might be my favorite offensive lineman I've ever seen play out of Iowa. Uh, Seeing him go in the first round was absolutely fantastic. I appreciate you qualifying the in Iowa because we have our own center who's kicking ass at the Eagles right. training camp right now uh, in Cam Jurgens, and I don't hear shit about. Excuse, can I say that? Yeah, yeah, that's all. Yeah, you're good. Okay, I don't hear shit about Linderbaum coming out of training camp. So, you know, that's nice that he came out of Iowa and all, but we finally got one in the draft after having a drought for a bit. And, uh, and well, I gotta say the, the the best thing about Cam Jurgens in the pre-draft process was his beef jerky, not his compound. So. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, not to play Homer there and, and shout out our own guy. No, but right. You're right. Linderbaum right. was one hell of an athlete, and, and that's generational talent. Yeah. Uh, he's he's going to make hay, and he's going to be great. He's, he's one of those guys who's athletic enough and takes care of himself and, and is the right mindset. You know he's going to have a long career. You know he's going to probably collect a ring or two, and there's going to be a quarterback that pairs with him. He's like, I'm not letting this guy go. Wherever I go, he goes. Yeah, and I say landing with the Baltimore Ravens run-heavy team. I think it's just a great spot for him. So it it was absolutely perfect for him looking at it. Uh the way that he was utilized out of out of Iowa is very much what they can do out in Baltimore as well. But he wasn't the only, and I honestly think Tyler Winderbaum at twenty five was a steal. Not the only steal coming out of the Big Ten. Late in the second round, you had two Nebraska guys go real close. You had Cam Jurgens and then Cam Taylor Britt. Guys, what did the what did the Cincinnati Bengals gain? Uh, with that 60th pick of that draft. Oh, man. They got a guy that just has a special place in my heart. He is, he's hands down one of my favorite players to ever come through Nebraska. Um, he's got an infectious energy about him. He lo- he loves football. Um, and he, he loved Nebraska. He loved representing Nebraska um, out, off and off the field as well as on the field. So, um, you know, going to Cincinnati, it's also a cool connection because you got Zach Taylor there as coach. Um, got a lot of Nebraska connections there already. So, and it's a, a great team, right? Like they're they had a great season last year, obviously getting to the Super Bowl. And so, um, I think I think he's going to be a real dog for them. I think he's going to be a fun player to watch. 
And is if, he already higher than Eli Apple on the depth? I was list? just gonna say that. Like, I <laughs> hope you take Eli Apple's place on that depth chart. I would love it. Yeah, absolutely. If you get a chance to go to our website, which is wannabewalkons.com, not to self plug, but there is a picture of Drew with Cam Taylor Britt. And as I was Drew's officiant at his wedding, I've never seen Drew smile that big. <laughs> um, as, when, as when he met Cam Taylor Britt. Um, so, I mean, I, I agree with everything he said. You, you've got a guy in Cam who takes, takes leadership of everything he does on the field, good or bad. It's going to work to be better, but he also cares about who he is off the field. And a, a team like Cincinnati seems like they value that just as much as the play on the field. Um, it's it's one thing to win a Super Bowl. I think it's even harder to lose the Super Bowl. Um, obviously, it's harder to lose the Super Bowl. But uh, but he's the kind of guy that can go into that culture and say, I'm here to build us all up together. Um, not only do they get a great player, they got a great leader and someone who's who Cincinnati can be proud to have their jersey on. No, Some deep cuts from the draft, I would say. Uh, looking go. at Isaiah Pacheco, running back for Rutgers. Uh, seventh round pick, but I, I love Pacheco. He's one of those, like, freaky, speedy guys who just runs all over the field and scares me. Um, <laughs> I don't I didn't like playing him, so probably a good pick. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Xander Horvath getting drafted was shocking to me at the same time. I think he's a great player. So, fullback out of Purdue, that's that's wild. Why would he get drafted at all? <laughs> hey, you know, they, they, they probably said the same thing about Andy Janovich coming out of Nebraska a few years ago, getting drafted by True. the Denver Broncos. Um, True, there's but just he was something... actually good. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, no, there, right? Yeah. <laughs> You know, Nebraska's got a soft spot for fullback. So anytime we see a fullback win, it feels like, you know, it, it's a personal victory on, on all fronts. So yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I love fullbacks too. Yeah. <laughs> fullbacks are will always be the honorary big dudes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, some big rec- recruiting classes in the Big Ten, as there always are. Uh, this past season, incredibly – No team in the conference finished worse than 50th in the nation in recruiting Um, overall class wise. Like this is one of the best recruiting conferences as a whole in all of college football. And I I hear people talking about with this conference realignment stuff. When are, when's the big 10 going to get rid of Rutgers, for example, or Illinois, like those brands aren't big enough to compete. Okay. Well, Illinois just finished better than, I don't know, everybody in the Big 12 in recruiting. So let's let's settle down on that, right? Um, but, of course, we have a couple of five-stars from Ohio State, uh, C.J. Hicks and Sonny Styles, helping out that defense, specifically the back end of that defense. Some huge pickups there. Um, and the other five-stars looking at Penn State, uh, defensive line uh, quarterback out of Ohio, actually going to Penn State there, Drew Aller. Uh, and Nick Singleton running back. So Penn State's going to be loaded once again. Uh, the biggest class in this conference is actually coming from Illinois with 26 players. And <laughs> the coldest to ever do it, Crawford, going yeah, to Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm assuming you saw the NIL deal that he picked up with, with SOS air conditioning. I, I actually did not, did see, not that. see that. That's okay. Yeah. So this past week, uh, Decoldis just picked up uh, an NIL deal with a, a local HVAC company, uh, and 
and it the ads write themselves. Um, so that's uh, that made some national news on there. But you know, you you hit on some schools like Illinois and Rutgers, and those are schools that we personally have some some I would say buy stock in now, right? Those are going to be schools mm-hmm. that early and immediately know their identity. They know what kind of players right. they're looking for. Um, and they're not going to take a guy because of his stars. They're going to take a guy because he fits the school. You talked about how you don't like to play Rutgers. I'm not looking forward to playing Rutgers this year either uh, because they do get players that play for a guy like Greg Schiano. And so knowing that they're bringing in a class that's 33rd in the country when normally they're much lower, they're recruiting to their style. That's, that's a scary high number for Rutgers. That means they're, they're not just bringing in guys who fit their, their scheme. They're fitting, bringing in guys who fit their personality, their culture, and that are talented football players. And I don't, I don't like that trajectory when we have to play against them on occasion. Which is especially crazy because when Greg Schiano was here coaching our defense, he was terrible. So <laughs> the only place he's ever been a good coach is at Rutgers. I hate to see it. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, Iowa finishing as low as they did when they won the Big Ten West is a little bit surprising to me, I would say. At the same time, it feels like they only recruit guys who live in – Iowa. So good luck, I guess. Kirk Ferentz knows what he's doing. He's been around for 25 years at this point. Almost literally, I think. I think this is his 24th season. So absolutely wild. Uh, But it's, again, it's crazy to me. Nobody finished worse than Minnesota at 49. Like, that is not a bad recruiting class in the slightest. And we're talking about them as if they're the worst in the conference. That's just, wow. Also, how did Northwestern finish above Minnesota? Come on. I mean, everyone everyone wants to play for Pat Fitzgerald, I guess. Tell you what, I would love to play for Pat Fitzgerald. <laughs> that dude's I, wild. We, we, we call him everyone's favorite coach to respect. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, yes. he's, he's a respectable coach, and I, I think it's, it's an achievement to get into Northwestern on its own. Um, so if you've got a guy who wants to play football, that's, that's a great place to go and play, and, and you know you're going to be coached well. Um, and you know that you're not going to have to screw up in front of a whole lot of fans. So, you know, good for them. The Ivy of the Midwest. Oh, man. I I hate that I said that. Anyway, (laughs) obviously transfers have become a big thing. You're talking about the changing landscape of college football with name, image, and likeness. Of course, the transfer portal has changed things a lot as well. Uh, I know there's been some talk of potentially opening up transfer portal windows. Maybe we get unlimited transfers in the future. No, that's really happened yet. At the same time, transfers are happening at an unimaginable rate uh, from just a couple of years ago. This is this is insane. Uh, so some huge names moving around the conference. I wanted to highlight a couple of guys that I think will be interesting and then let you loose on two that are probably the biggest transfers in the conference. Um, Tanner McAllister coming in with his defensive coordinator coming from Oklahoma State to Ohio State. That is massive. They needed somebody in the secondary. That's going to help a lot. Uh, Ohio State finished with their worst defense in about 100 years last year uh, with a top 20 defense in the country. Last year's offense wins a national championship. So this is... Ohio State needed that. This is huge. Uh, Obviously, Indiana went through some turmoil. We didn't really talk about it all that much. Uh, From being 
the darlings of the conference in 2020 to going 0-9 in conference last year. Uh, they lost a lot of players. Quarterback transferred out, but a quarterback transferred in as well. Connor Baselak coming in from Missouri. We'll see what he can do. But, of course, some of the biggest transfers. Adrian Martinez out. Casey Thompson in. O'Shawn Mathis in, too, from TCU. Some big names, some big moves. What do you guys think about this? How this worked out for you guys? I think I think Nebraska, this is a great deal. I know a lot of people um, have complaints about the transfer portal in general, the lack of rules. It's a wild, wild west, west right now, um, which I agree to uh, some extent with. But for Nebraska right now, they need an infusion of talent at a lot of places. They need some new faces. Um, quarterback was a big one. We, we wrote Adrian Martinez for better or worse for the past four years. Um, Casey Thompson coming in, I think is going to bring um, a, a player who maybe makes better decisions, is a little less turnover prone. Um, and more importantly, I think he's a guy that, that Frost and Mark Whipple are going to be able to change the offense around, um, change it to something that, that's more suited to, to Casey Thompson and what he's capable of and where he excels. Um, and then Oshan Mathis, obviously a huge one coming off the edge. Um, edge rushers, something that every defense wants to have. You want that guy who can get after the quarterback, disrupt the passing game. Um, in the Big Ten West, I don't think it's quite as valuable as a position necessarily um, when you're really focused on maybe stopping the run against a lot of teams. But it obviously doesn't hurt to have a guy um, like Oshan Mathis who's going to bring um, you know, a lot more sacks, a lot more quarterback pressure, and allow other guys on the defensive line to – you know, I think excel and improve. So very excited about those. I will say I'm, I'm really interested in seeing what Tanner McAllister can do with Ohio state. Um, I think he's going to play a lot of the nickel position or he did with Oklahoma state. And I think yeah. if I remember right, Ohio state's going to switch to a four, two, five. Um, and so that should sure. Yeah. It's kind of the defense that Ryan days wanted to run for a while now. Yeah. So yeah. Jim Knowles is the first defensive coordinator to have that as his base scheme coming in as defense coordinator, Ohio state. So, Hopefully that works out, and Tanner McAllister did just lose his black stripe, so he's officially a member of the team in training camp, doing well, all the good things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I think he's going to excel, and, um, you know, when, when Frost brought his whole staff over, they brought a guy in Trey Neal into their secondary mm-hmm. who, um, you know, maybe didn't have the greatest statistical year, but just that, that leadership, that understanding, the knowledge of the defense, being able to communicate that with the other guys – um, was a big help. And so um, Tanner McAllister should bring the talent, the skill, and should bring that leadership and just that communication. Um, Connor Basilic, uh with Indiana should be good. I have a beef with Indiana right now that's very personal. Um, that has to do with another podcast that, that uh, previewed Nebraska and didn't have anything good to say about us. Um, well, not, not that not- they had to say anything good about the team. They didn't do any research. They didn't know. They didn't think Nebraska had won a national championship. They didn't know who coached Nebraska's '97 or who who was the quarterback yeah. for the '97 team. But they still talked about Scott Frost at nauseum. So it, nice. it was more the underpreparedness than it was. That's yeah, and the bash. It was. And the, and, yeah. <laughs> you, you can't even talk bad about Nebraska's season last season and just focus on the record. Every single right. one of their games were one possession games. If the ball goes the other direction, bounces a different different way, that's most of those games could have gone either way. Like, right. like Doug said, you guys were the best three and nine team last year. 
it, it's amazing. Like I know, I, if you I, won, yeah. if you won all of the coin flips that you had, you would have been ten and two. So that's <laughs> unreal. Yeah, unreal. You only won one of the eight coin flips you had. <laughs> it's that absurd. sucks. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will say, kind of jumping off of what Drew was saying though about about Connor. Uh, Basilek coming into Indiana. What I think is really strange, Indiana is also bringing in a new offensive coordinator for what the third year in a row. Right. And right. it's a run heavy offense that he likes to run. And Basilek is not a mobile quarterback. He's a, he's a pass first quarterback and a pass second quarterback. It just doesn't feel like Tom Allen has a real handle on what he wants that team to be. And, you know, I see you smiling as an Ohio state fan. I think Indiana had their moment. Uh, I, I think that it's going to be a continued, maybe downward trajectory. I don't see them uh, can, getting back to being a potential dark horse in the, in the East, the way that teams like Ohio state continue to be dominant, the way that uh, Michigan state is emerging, the way that the, the cowards up North are emerging, uh, all of that sort of thing. I, I just don't see Indiana getting into that race. And I don't think Connor Basilek, I want to say ball sack, but I know that's <laughs> not right. Um, I don't think he's the guy to get them there. So he may be a transition guy for the time being, but Tom Allen just feels like he's got a train on fire and he doesn't know where the brakes are. No, I was actually, I was smiling because I was thinking immediately when you said that about the office coordinator, that would have definitely fit what they had in Michael Penix. But then after the hire, Michael Penix transfers to Washington. And now they bring in another guy who doesn't fit that system at all. Well, you can't just fire your offensive coordinator that you just hired a couple of weeks ago. So it's you in a can. they're in a bad spot. Yeah, <laughs> you shouldn't. It's bad no. form. <laughs> uh, but all right, so back to Nebraska for a second. Yeah. Obviously, obviously you're not going to have a problem with that. But uh, <laughs> with kind of the same thing as what we're talking about with Tanner McAllister coming with his coordinator. You have something similar with Trey Palmer coming in, receiver from LSU. They brought in LSU's receivers coach. I love that when you see a coach bring in their kind of favorite piece from their old school. Come on with me. Let's go do this together in a new city. What do you guys think could you could see out of Trey Palmer? Is he really going to get on the field very much? I mean, he didn't have a ton of opportunity to LSU, but maybe maybe there's something in the Nebraska scheme. What do you guys see out of Trey Palmer, if anything? Um, I think that the, if you're going to ask and, and survey a lot of Nebraska fans, they expect big things about Trey Palmer, and I think a lot of that comes um, from last year's success of Samori Toure, uh, who got drafted by the Packers this, this past right. offseason. Uh, seeing that transfer wide receiver who's heavily touted coming in, we expect them to have playing time. Nebraska's got a really solid receiving core as far as the talent goes, but we just haven't had anyone emerge as that, that main guy, that dog in the room. And we seem to be getting one at a, a guy who has one year at a time. Uh, Trey Palmer could come in and not only affect uh, the offense, but also affect our special teams, which has been severely lacking. And you want to talk about coin flips. Some of those games aren't so much coin flips. If you look at special teams, you know, there, there's a reason those games were lost Either we weren't getting great starting field position or the specialists weren't doing their hay, but Trey Palmer is someone who could flip the field. He's someone who can take advantage of um, a return or something along those lines and put Nebraska in a great spot to shorten the field and then drop in the slot, make a great play and, and use his speed to just, you know, find pay dirt. So we expect a lot of big things out of him. The way that Mickey Joseph coaches, that it's 100% accountability. You, you all got to be dogs. You all got to give it your all. 
And uh, I think it's great to bring in Trey Palmer, who already knows his coaching style and can help juice up that room. It sounds like the Pat Fitzgerald of the wide receiver room, that coach right there. That's everybody's got to be dogs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's that was a terrible analogy. I still love it. <laughs> um, some big transfers out, uh, of course, other than Adrian Martinez, who we already talked about, and Michael Penix. Another quarterback, Quinn Ewers, is leaving Ohio State. Obviously, he was never going to stay at Ohio State. That was he was always going to go back to Texas. That was all about NIL money, and it's still about NIL money, and that's fine with me. Uh, unfortunately, he did take with him a corner that we kind of needed, Ryan Watts, uh, also going to Texas. Uh, hate to see him go, but at the same time, we brought in some other corners, so it is what it is. Probably the most talented transfer out of the Big Ten this year, though, would be Brandon Joseph. Safety for Northwestern actually kind of made Justin Fields look vulnerable when they played in that Big Ten championship game. He's going to Notre Dame and will be playing C.J. Stroud in week one. So, fascinating. I love Brandon Joseph as a player. He's one of the best safeties I've seen in a long time, and I know everybody loved Kyle Hamilton so much. I think Brandon Joseph is a technically better safety than Kyle Hamilton was. Kyle Hamilton is just so big that he made some plays. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know if we want to talk about Brandon Joseph. I don't know if we want to sit there too long. He's transferring out of the conference, so he's not going to factor in this season. I, I uh, actually think that he he might be indicative of a bigger problem going on at Northwestern. And, and again, we, we respect Pat Fitzgerald, and we really like what he does. And this is a – I wouldn't say maybe a problem, but it, it gives you an insight into what their defense might look like going into this year as well. There's a big hole to fill when Mike Hakewitz retires or retired. Um, and, and that Northwestern defense had an immediate drop off and it's going to be a long way to build that back up. So I don't blame Brandon Joseph, you know, for leaving after seeing what the defense turns into to go to a Notre Dame. That's wow. a team on the rise. That's a marquee right. team. You know, that's, that's a business move. That's a business decision. Um, he'd get plenty of, of show in the big 10 but not as much as he's going to get in a team like Notre Dame who lines up against a lot of uh, elite passing offenses uh, and a lot of schools where he's going to have an opportunity to shine. So good on him. You know, that's the beauty of the transfer portal is these guys can go out uh, and, and, you know, they're putting their bodies on the line. They deserve the opportunity to get paid for it, whether that's through NIL or their draft stock. So good on him. One more transfer out. I wanted to mention briefly, this will be, in conference transferring in a couple of years. But Raekwon O'Neal, offensive tackle for Rutgers, transferred to UCLA. I hate that that's about to be the same conference. <laughs> are you weird. guys looking are you guys looking forward to playing USC and UCLA as conference games? Absolutely. I love I love it. <laughs> I am I'm honestly I'm all about conference expansion. I'm not a traditionalist when it comes to college probably Probably because Nebraska's kind of gotten away from, you know, where I mean, they it's were. Been, but... It's been 25 years since you've had any good tradition to speak about. So yeah, yeah, it's why. been a while, you know, and we've we've shifted conferences, you know, we soured <laughs> on our conference relationship with the Big 12, and especially with Texas. We lost our Oklahoma rivalry. So, um, you know, Nebraska's history has kind of been tumultuous in that sense already as a, just a younger, you know, uh, follower um, of, of sports. Like, it's just... 
it's the norm now at this point. Um, and I think like watching it uh, shift kind of more towards probably what's going to be an NFL model, having like two super conferences, maybe like the Big Ten and the SEC, um, having these mega conferences. I, I think it's exciting. I understand like there's a ton of like logistics issues. There's a lot more travel involved. The, the, um, the Olympic sports are obviously going to have to deal with a lot more, um, you know, issues. But from a football fan standpoint, like the idea of, yeah, bringing in big time marquee opponents in your conference um, that you'll get a face off with regularly is, I think it's exciting. And, and from a selfish perspective, it'll be nice to not be the new kid on the block. It'll be nice to have someone else to pick on, right? It'll be nice to have to welcome in a proud tradition like a USC and a Lincoln Riley and, and see what the Big Ten does to them game after game after game instead of maybe a, right. uh, a cupcake Pac-12 schedule where you've got three teams who know what they're doing and the rest can't. <laughs> Tug's our resident Pac-12 hater, so he. Oh. <laughs> look, the game. Look, I grew up on the East Coast. I, I might be in South Dakota now, but the Pac-12 games are just way too late. It's <laughs> true. It's true. Even in Mountain Time, come on, man. Yeah, dude. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I'm, what I, re- I'm not, what yeah, I really yeah. want to see is the Big Ten championship game move to the Rose Bowl. Get it out of Indianapolis. Let's let's make something real here. Maybe, maybe even expand the college football playoff, get the bowl game out of this bowl system out of this completely, and we just go to the Rose Parade and the Rose Bowl is the Big Ten championship. You have my support. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I'm not traveling to Indianapolis. I'm probably not going to fly out to LA, but there's a there's a ton of Big Ten alumni living out on the West Coast that would gladly fill that stadium. So okay, correction: Big Ten championship game in your backyard, so you can be in attendance. Oh, we'll take that too. Yeah, absolutely. Right, that, would, that would require making the Big Ten championship, <laughs> but, it, but yeah, we're in. No, I meant literally your backyard. Where do you? What's your address? Let's write. Oh. Uh, <laughs> we're at Drew's house, so if you look up the IP and swat us, you're gonna just screw up. Perfect. His house. Yeah. Perfect. I'll contact Kevin Warren, and we'll get this all sorted. Yeah, he won't be on top of that. Is he on top of anything? Uh, vacation. Ah, yes, he's, he's really good at, at making his way to Cancun. Well, USC and UCLA <laughs> joins the conference. <laughs> what timing. All right, so some players to watch for this upcoming season. I really tried to stick with five for, you know, five offensive players and five defensive players across the whole conference, which is really hard to do, and it's going to miss out a lot of big names. So if you have anybody in mind that I didn't touch on, uh, feel free to shout them out. I will say Maryland's offense is going to be really fun again. That's the best part of that team. Has been for a little while now. But Talia Tungavailoa and Rakeem Jarrett are awesome. And if you have a chance to watch them play, especially in the first couple of games of the year, they're going to put like 70-some points on FCS school. They do it every year now. It's a tradition. And uh, it's it's always really fun. Uh, The... As far as offensive lines are concerned, the best center in the league now that Cam Jurgens is gone, yeah, Tyler Underbaum are gone. Uh, I would say John Michael Schmitz up in Minnesota is a fantastic center, and that run game with him up the middle and Muhammad Ibrahim coming back is going to be terrifying. Are, are you still getting nightmares of that Week One game last year? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I think Minnesota might have won that game if Ibrahim didn't get hurt. 
Yeah, Don't spoil my down. stuff later. <laughs> uh, on offensive tackle, we're looking at Peter Skoronsky, Northwestern. Uh, probably another first-round tackle out of Northwestern in just a couple of years apart from each other. That's kind of crazy. Uh, Northwestern has good players every now and then. Love to see yeah. it. Obviously, uh, Braylon Allen is going to be in contention for leading all of college football in rushing yards yet again. Every Wisconsin running back makes this list at some point. Braylon Allen is the latest in a long line. And I have a feeling he's not as good as the couple that came before him. But that's such a high bar to clear that I think it's okay. And he will still be a good running back come the next level. I mean, with Wisconsin and running backs, shoot, I think they return all five of their running backs who had starting time last year. I don't know how you best that. I don't know how you, right. you know. That, that's such a, a next man up mentality at that school where uh, a guy like Braylon Allen, I mean, it's a plug and play situation. You get a guy who fits a type and he's going to make hay. You know, he's going to absolutely get the job done. And, and Minnesota, to their credit, last year was a similar situation, right? Every guy who stepped up to the plate uh, after Mo went down, even down to Bucky, Bucky ran all over Nebraska. Uh, he transferred out, but. It's still, it was impressive to see that. So it just scares you about knowing what kind of talent is just sitting dormant in the Big Ten West from that running back position. Um, and when you get guys on the offensive line like you've got in, in Northwestern and in Minnesota, anyone can emerge any week. And you've just got to be ready to, to stop it. Let's go full stereotype and say all those hay balers on the offensive line <laughs> everywhere <laughs> all across yeah, the Big Ten West. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> I will say this, though. Minnesota last year, their line averaged 337 pounds per guy. They've dropped 20 pounds across the board. So, you know, whatever that translates to running yards, uh, Minnesota's just, they're not going to be good. I'm just bullshitting at that point. It doesn't matter. Like these, all these teams in the Big Ten West, I had to look up what the word parity meant because they are so equal when it comes right. to a lot of their skill sets. Yeah, uh, and what they do so well on the offensive side of the ball. And that's it's kind of what makes schools like Nebraska and Purdue the anomaly, right? That's why it's so damn hard to predict what are we going to be on offense because all these other schools, if their defense can shut it out, great. They're going to stifle them. And if they can't, then it's those years where we can surprise them. So, yeah, speaking of Purdue, we've already talked about Aiden O'Connell and how great we think he is. Uh, the one quarterback we haven't mentioned very much so far and the presumptive Heisman favorite right now, C.J. Stroud at Ohio State, and the uh, receiving leader in Rose Bowl history, Jackson Smith and Jigba, coming back. That passing attack should be pretty good. I won't belabor the point too much. As an Ohio State fan, I feel like if I talk too much about it, it turns into a Homer podcast. But uh, they were the number one offense last season in all of college football. They probably will be again. This is... The defense is the worst part of Ohio State right now. Everyone kind of knows it. Well, if I can interject from from a from a fan in the Big Ten West who you know hates every team that's not Nebraska, I have such a high respect for what Ryan Day does at Ohio State. He wasn't a flashy hire. He wasn't a, a wave making hire. But I think he's the best hire hire Ohio State has had probably in the past two decades. I don't think he's just a great football coach. I think he's a great leader and a great role model. His family just this week donated a million dollars to the university for mental health, which we're seeing across college football. 
is an absolute travesty taking place in a lot of players at a lot of different schools. Right. And when you add on the stress of NIL and the way that that impacts players and how they're trying to care for their families, those types of things, like the stuff that Ryan Day is doing off the field, I think is going to continue to get him the kind of players he wants on the field. And I just got to, I got to believe that guys like CJ Stroud and, and Smith and Jigba are good people on top of it, because I don't think Ryan Day has the patience for bad people. So as much as I want to root against them, I think you guys have a really great leader in Ryan Day. I think you guys have someone that you can hang your hat on and be proud of as a head coach where, you know, not to point fingers, that hasn't always been the case at Ohio State. Right. You know, you guys have been easy to hate for a good stretch. Um, but Day kind of makes that a little bit harder. I got to say, other than the way it ended, Jim Trussell was a fantastic person as well. And you're exactly right. The last two decades between when we got Jim Trussell all the way from Youngstown State, middle of nowhere, to Ryan Day coming in as a former quarterbacks coach in the NFL. Is he going to go back to the NFL? Nobody knows. I hope not. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's some out-of-the-box thinking can help you a lot. I don't know if that applies to Nebraska necessarily. We need to get Maybe. back in the box. Like We need Maybe. to get back to just <laughs> winning and not so worried about the weird shit. Anyway, uh, on the defensive side of the ball, of course, Riley Moss is back, the undisputed leader of that Iowa defense, I would say. Yeah, he's really good uh, in in stretches. He kind of fell off the face of the earth when they were playing the better teams towards the end of the season. But at the beginning of the year, he looked unstoppable. So if we get that Riley Moss, Iowa should be really good once again. Uh, some good linebackers across this conference, Cal Halliday at Michigan State and Luke Raymer at Nebraska are pretty fantastic. And I would expect – first or second team all-conference linebacking course uh, for both of those guys, for sure. And the defensive line, of course, defensive tackle is a huge component of the Big Ten, the way the Big Ten plays football. P.J. Mustafer is great at Penn State. And in the West, you're looking at Keanu Benton at Wisconsin. Just a big guy, stuffs the run, exactly what you're looking for. And... That's all I got to say. That's, that's the defensive side of the ball. I'm an offensive guy. So, Doug, if you have any anywhere you want to jump in there or you guys have any other defensive guys you have in mind. I would say the ironic part, the one dude I want to highlight, which I'll do in a minute, is uh, on the offensive side of the ball. So, yeah, you guys you guys have any additional <laughs> comments on this? Yeah, you know, when it comes to uh, defense, I, I think you hit the, the nail on the head when it comes to this could be the – conference of linebackers and in the big 10 west that's even more true it is a terrifying group of linebackers that are in there uh, i think iowa is poised to maybe have one of the best if not the best defense in the conference uh, i really like what they're bringing to the table you cannot write off jack campbell not only in his position but his leadership uh, iowa owns the fact that they are a developmental program and jack campbell preaches that message and plays with that message um Nebraska, not to cut ourselves short with Luke Reimer, with Garrett Nelson. We've got some other linebackers uh, in that core that I think are going to impress and surprise. I think Nebraska might finish on that defensive front higher than people expect them to. Um, but I just think, you know, you've got Wisconsin who's reloading their entire linebacker core practically. Um, but you've got Leonhard who is just this defensive guru who you know by the time they hit their middle of the season stride, you're it's going to be like – four marquee linebackers playing at Wisconsin as well. So it just scares me knowing uh, 
when you want to be effective running the ball and, and these short run passing routes and things like that, what's defending those? And it's, and it's these linebackers. Yeah. Um, I guess as far as I'm looking at Iowa a lot, I mean, their, their offense wasn't anything to uh, write home about and their defense really carried the day with all the turnovers that they were able to produce. Right. Um, and that's kind of what led them, I think, to their, their West championship last year. And so it'll be interesting to see if they're able to, replicate that um, a lot of times with turnovers it's hard to you know rely on that you can have a great defense that doesn't you know get the interception you know or the ball doesn't bounce their way and they just have bad turnover luck with fumbles um, and so you know I'm, I mean obviously they're they're a talented group um, I wonder though how much they relied on turnovers um, to kind of keep them afloat when their offense wasn't producing and if, if they're able to uh, find a solution there if the turnovers don't go their way this year. So, but I, I'm always looking for a reason to drag Iowa down or you know think less of them going into a season. So, well, they did lose the championship game, forty-two to three. So. <laughs> they did get smashed once. You know, they faced a good team. Yeah, but but Iowa, I mean, they don't care. Like, that's the part that's even even Fair. more infuriating. Is they're like, yeah, right. yeah. Oops. oh, oops. Uh, Kirk Parent still goes home and eats oh. his ham dinner like nothing happened. You know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tug, you wanted to jump in here before we get to the next part here? Uh, so I was only thinking here. Sorry, this could be a real bad dad joke, but I hear Indiana has a real monster at safety. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't even get that joke. Oh, I, I his, get his, his, name is, his name is Monster Matthews. <laughs> his first name is Monster. Okay. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I've got nothing to add. I'm ready to get into predictions if you guys are. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. Speaking of great NIL names, though, Kool-Aid McKinstry down in Alabama. Oh, yeah. It's just De- perfect. DeColdis signing an De-Coldis, HVAC is De-Coldis absolutely getting HVAC. Perfect. Kool-Aid McKinstry <laughs> signing with Kool-Aid. Bo Nix signing with Bo Jangles when he did. There's just some things just work. Monster gotta... Matthews needs to sign with uh, Ray Monster, Dicker or Monster something. Energy. Yeah. Or yeah. Monster, Monster Energy. Monster Energy. We've got a uh, a tight end named uh, Chancellor Brewington, Brewerton, the Brewington, Brewington, yeah. Brewington. Uh, and Nebraska doesn't allow alcohol deals like some of the other schools do. But as soon as it does, like we're <laughs> we're gonna be that guy's agent. We're gonna, we're gonna be like, we we know some folks. We 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 got wow. you. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess it is time for our conference predictions. Obviously, we still have an East Division and we still have a West Division. Probably won't have the divisions starting next year. Uh, it seems like everybody's getting rid of them. That's what's in vogue these days. We still have divisions as it is, so we'll pick a winner for the East, a winner for the West, and then we'll come back around to pick our overall champion. I guess I'll start here uh, hand it off to you guys. I'm going to take Ohio State in the East. Um, obvious reasons. Uh, in the West, it's a crapshoot. I honestly don't know what to do. Which means I'm going to take a wild card, and I'm going to say Purdue wins the West. I don't hate it. You you probably hate it, but I don't hate it. I mean, I think you're I think you're half right. <laughs> I don't know what to expect out of that defense, but I love Aiden O'Connell, and I think they could win some coin tosses, uh, which it seems to be what decides the West most years. You get the right win and three losses. You right. can you can win the West, you know. Right. I think Northwestern's done it with even less. So yeah, it, when when the West is prime for taking, 
it, it really just comes down to who did you beat, uh, which I know that's how records work. But <laughs> but as, as far as you know, you might be a, a six win Big Ten team and you're heading to the Rose Bowl or the to Indy and the Rose Bowl because Ohio State's going to the playoff. Maybe we'll see. Hopefully, <laughs> who's up next? Uh, I'll take it. So I, I've okay. got Ohio State in the East too. Um, honestly, I didn't. When I, I went through every team and put down the records, I didn't give Ohio State a loss. I think they're just that good. I think their offense is so incredible. They've got the best offensive line in the country. They're going to reload at wide receiver. Um, Brian Hartline leading that room. He had, I think he had the the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth picks in this NFL draft. If you count that yes. guy, Jamison Will Williams, I think out of Alabama yep. is his guy. So. Um, yep. yeah, I think Scary. they're going to, yeah, they just need to be, they just need to be average on defense, you know, to, they just need right. a little, little bit of a change there. And, I, and, uh, that new coordinator had Oklahoma state that he took him from like a hundred ranked to 10th ranked defense overnight. So, um, in a conference that doesn't play defense. So, right. um, so I got Ohio state winning the whole thing. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the heck to make of the big 10 West either. I flip-flopped on, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, um, but I landed on Nebraska because I just can't. <laughs> I had to go with the homer pick. I couldn't. I couldn't give us. I couldn't mark down that we're going to lose those last four games on the season, even though that's probably what's going to happen. Um, I honestly don't hate that pick, though. I think Nebraska is like a just a couple of weeks away. They really if are. They, if they filled one or two holes, if they really could win all of those games, yeah, I, and, I, I, it's possible. Every every team, every team on this side of the uh, the conference has some really glaring weaknesses, um, and a team right. with glaring weaknesses always ends up winning the division anyway. So you don't you're right. not going to have the perfect team. That's what makes it so fun to watch. And uh, so I went with my heart. I got Nebraska winning it. I got them nine and three, seven and two in conference. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw it out there. I'm just gonna go for it. Why not? <laughs> Nobody's listening, right? We're not recording. <laughs> Here's my hot take on Nebraska before I hand it over to Tug real quick. Uh, I think Nebraska is going to beat Oklahoma, go undefeated out of conference, and then still finish the year with seven wins. Dang. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's that's a not, really that's fair prediction. That's not even far from yeah, what's possible. Uh, anyway, <laughs> back to predictions. What do you got, Tug? All right, I'm going to keep the East train rolling here uh, with Ohio State. I just really don't see any true competitors out there, even even Michigan right now. They just lost so much, and let's be honest, Harbaugh just got his win first time in 10 years, so he's good for at least another 10 years. So he's got no effort to throw into it. Uh, but I am looking for that week one rematch in the Big Ten Championship from last year, so I'm, I'm looking for Minnesota to come back. Uh, losing Ibrahim in the first game to a torn Achilles, absolutely brutal, and I do 100% think Minnesota would have pulled that out if he never went down. Uh, PJ Fleck is known as a coach who can win one or two games. He's not supposed to, um, granted he might lose one game that he's not supposed to. So it can go either way, but like we're all saying, the, the West is wide open. You don't really know which way it's going to go. I think he's going to win those two extra games this year. And PJ Fleck's going to take Minnesota to the big 10 championship game. We keep talking about it. So I guess I'm just going to finish the thought for everybody. Finally. We saw that Minnesota game three times last year with Ohio State. Yeah, We saw it against Minnesota, and Ibrahim got hurt. We saw it against Oregon the next week. Running back didn't get hurt, and they beat us on 
three plays, the same exact play from the same exact spot on the field. It was three touchdowns. Oregon beat us. And we saw that game at the end of the year in the game, and the team up north beat us. So, absolutely, Minnesota should have won that game if Ibrahim didn't go down. And that's the reason I felt bad about the season from the start. But, all right, anyway. Yeah. If- <laughs> I had to get that off my chest because it was like, <laughs> that's totally true. I just, that defense is probably going to be way better. Yeah, yeah. And for what it's worth, like, if it didn't make me want to throw up, I would say I think Minnesota's the team that takes the West. Honestly, I can't. I know I can't stand the team, but but, but having Tanner Morgan and Ibrahim and uh, David Ottman-Bell, their receiver, um, I think they got spanned forward at tight end. Like, they've got a good offense. They've got a good – they're going to have a good offensive line. It's retooled. uh, so that I'm not scary. saying I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. But if I wasn't biased, I, when it when it I comes to Minnesota, they were so effective last year, not only on offense, but they were shutting down teams with that that pass rush, and they basically right. lost that pass rush. That's I don't true. think that they're able to come back. They might have an offensive threat, but I don't think defensively they're going to be getting the ball back to that offense enough to beat the teams they need to beat in order to win the West. I do think they're going to be one of the maybe top two or three finishers, but I don't see them making the, the big 10 championship. I, I think that's a really big ask. Um, I think PJ Fleck is a, is a, a heck of a coach as much as that pains me to say uh, in, in getting his guys motivated and ready to play. But I don't think he can overcome the, the defensive hurdles that they're going to have to overcome to stop some of these more, aggressive offenses that the Big Ten West is putting out in like the Purdue's and hopefully the Nebraska's. Um, I, I, I'm i sorry to be the one to say it, but for the Big Ten East, I think that it comes down to the game, and I think Harbaugh's going to get his second one. Um, I think that that offense is going to be firing on all cylinders yet again this year. I really like what they have at quarterback. It's uh, it's another year proven, uh, and, I, and I like what they have at backup quarterback. I like that they've got options there should something happen during the season. Um, I have trust in a Michigan defense to pull it out as well. I think it's going to be a, a close and hard-fought match, but I think to much chagrin, uh, Michigan gets there again, and uh, and we hate it. So we... I'm, I'm just going to throw this out there. I know you said you liked Ryan Day a lot. Yeah. Are, are you trying to get him fired? Because if you lose the game two years in a row – his job is over at Ohio State. No, it's not over at Ohio State. It's close. Everyone's going to be like, is Ryan Day on the hot seat? And then I think Ohio State just goes torched earth, and they're, they're going to have an incredible 23 season. Uh, but I, I, I think Harbaugh is about to reach his end point, and he's, he's still got a crescendo left in him. Um, so I see that being a potential this year. If it doesn't happen, I don't see them getting back to it uh, under Harbaugh. I, I Counterpoint. That- Counterpoint. If it takes – losing the game two years in a row for us to win another national championship. I would much rather never win another national championship. <sighs> wow. That's how much I hate the team up North. Wow. If I can guarantee at least winning every, every, like nine out of every 10 years and never lose back to back, I would much rather never win another national title if that's possible. You know what? I can understand that because we <laughs> lost to Iowa seven straight. Uh, and it feels like the worst feeling every time. So I can understand that. Um, but I'm, I'm sorry to do that to you, to say that I think I think, <laughs> I think Michigan makes it back. 
I I have the uh, the West coming down to Purdue and Wisconsin, uh, and I think Wisconsin's going to be the one to take it this year. I just think that that defense is going to be stifling. I think that the pass rush is finally going to get to Aiden O'Connell, throw him off enough, um, and they have no run game to speak of at Purdue. So I just think Wisconsin gobbles them up and is, is able to take it away when those two show down. Um, at that point, I haven't even thought about a champion, but I actually like Wisconsin over Michigan if that's what it comes down to. Uh, I would I would take the Big Ten West to finally win one if that's the matchup we get. Iowa would never get it done, but I think Wisconsin could. If this happens, we will not have a Big Ten preview next year. Look, I will have ended things. We 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 thought that Nebraska was going to win, what, eight or nine games last year? So we're usually wrong. Um, well, that's so, reassuring. Thank don't you. Don't worry. Yeah, you guys are probably more Forget right than everything we, are. we just said. Yeah. So three out of four of you, uh, three out of four of us are correct, and Ohio State's going to win the Big Ten Championship. That's, that's the good news. Uh, but thank you guys so much for coming on to preview the Big Ten with us. This has been really fun. And uh, deep conversation about every team. It's always good. Uh, before you guys go, before you guys go, if you're interested, we have a segment at the end of basically every show now where we do a little bit of a bracket time here. Uh, we are counting down the best stadiums in the Power Five right now. Uh, this right. is really we took the Power Five plus five. Essentially, you can't take the Power Five without including Notre Dame. And by the time we got to the Group of Five, well, Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, and BYU are all going to be in the Power Five by that point as well. So it's a very nice sixty-nine team bracket. And. Uh, <laughs> We have four of those matchups happening today. If you guys are interested in joining us for this, absolutely. Okay. You're right, Doug, you slideshow start Doug, working so. it. Yep. All right. So we have four matchups here today, and uh, the first one, Twitter actually went with the team up north in a very, very tight contested matchup of two traditional stadiums here. Uh, I'm not going to say the word. That stadium up north versus Scott Stadium. Uh, I'll hand it off to you guys first. Knowing that Twitter went with the stadium up north, uh, which stadium do you guys prefer? Um, I'm going to say I'm going to go with Scott Stadium, and it's not just to make you feel better. Um, I've heard that Michigan Stadium is incredibly quiet and underwhelming for 110,000 people. I've heard that too, yeah. So I would say, I mean, you can pack your stadium, but if it, you don't create a good environment there, uh, I don't know what Virginia does, but they got to do better than whatever's Michigan's doing with the numbers that they got, so. I mean, does Scott Stadium have a nickname? Because Michigan's got a pretty damn good nickname for their stadium. I, I will give them credit on, on the big house. That's, that's a pretty cool one, but hearing what Drew has to say and knowing what game days are like at Nebraska, 110,000 people being quiet. I mean, that that's for, I don't know, when Abraham Lincoln's train rolled through on his memorial. That's when 110,000 people should be quiet, not at a football game. So I, I'm going to give it to University of Virginia as well. Wow. 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 All right. Um, so I will say this. I'm going to give give uh, the big house a little bit of a – a pass on on the quiet. We're still early in the bracket. This is star, still a tight tight matchup coming through. Um, 
but when it was built, they really didn't know anything about stadium acoustics and how to to work that. But you're right; it is depressing that it gets <laughs> gets quiet. Um, I never would have expected that. Typically, the only time I see it is every other year during the game. Um, yeah, it's never quiet for that. Yeah, I, I I'm gonna give it to the big house here. I I like the look of it a little bit better. I like the capacity. Uh, so I'm going to go the big house, which means Weak. Doug, you're, Doug you, this is the moment you've been waiting for. You are the deciding vote. I don't think I really get a vote here. I have to side with what Twitter said because we did throw it up on social media. And uh, thank you to everyone who voted in the poll. It was extremely tight. And I thought Scott Stadium was going to win. Oh, man, I love the look of Scott Stadium. Like trying to take this as unbiased as possible as an Ohio State fan. I, I know. I love the look of Scott Stadium. The big house is so bland. Doug, here's the issue, though. We're technically 2-2. Technically, you're right. and I So, therefore, you get a vote. I love, I love, I love moving the Scott on here. Uh, it, that is the nickname, technically, the Scott, which is not a nickname. Oh, but it well, kind of counts. Uh, if, it's, if it's just the Scott, I mean... <laughs> kind of retract that argument i still stick with it but that's not a oh man <laughs> i have a thing for stadiums that integrate some like academic looking structure into the infrastructure of the stadium and if you look at the back end of scott there like the pillars that wrap around that one back end look so collegiate that's something you would never find in a professional stadium yeah that stadium up north is just a flat bowl. It's not even a bowl. It's a plate. It's a, it's, it's a plate. I hate it so much. It doesn't All right. look like a good stadium. I think All right. I will agree to push on the Scott if we can now agree to change the nickname of the big house to the big plate. The big plate. <laughs> I love it. I'm in. <laughs> so our first real upset of this entire bracket, I would say, uh, in the big house going down this like this in the second round of this bracket. That's pretty incredible. I love everything about it. And with that, I say we move on to our next matchup of the day, which are two Titans of the college football landscape. We're talking about Oklahoma Memorial stadium up against Doke S Campbell stadium. This is Oklahoma versus Florida state. Now this one was not as close on Twitter. Uh, Oklahoma blew out Florida state uh, in our Twitter poll, but I'll hand it off to you guys. Which stadium do you prefer? I mean, just just from the historical perspective, I got to give it to the University of Oklahoma. I got to give it to Oklahoma. Nebraska has so much history there, so many great memories, so many bad memories, but but so many memories nonetheless. You know, uh, like we talked about with Ryan Day and, and having respect for a team, as, as much of a rival Oklahoma is, there's also a ton of respect about what that school was able to accomplish. Uh, in return, what Nebraska was able to accomplish in, in a similar time frame. So I'm going to give it to Oklahoma uh, because with Florida State, it's the house that Nebraska built. Florida State wouldn't be Florida State unless they had beat Nebraska. So uh, valid Oklahoma for me. All right. I'm going to, uh, with all respect to Oklahoma, I'm actually going to go with Florida State. And it has a lot to do with what you said. It's the architecture outside that stadium that's just – uh, it's just beautiful. Whereas Oklahoma looks like it belongs in like 
I don't know, Division 5A Texas High School with the way that their grandstands are. And it, it does look uh, a little bit like a road. Uh, you know, the, the horseshoe <laughs> with the attached, uh, you know, stands in the, in the end zone there. So um, Florida State's got more of that cathedral, that, you know, college cathedral look to it. So I was trying to look up the traditions, but I'm assuming we got rid of the Seminole chop out at uh, Florida State, which is a little depressing here. Uh, but no, you're, you're hitting it on the head. I'm, I'm with Florida state as well. Um, I'm sorry. I've seen Texas high school stadiums that look bigger than <laughs> what Oklahoma's looks like. Uh, we, we just called the big house, the big plate and <laughs> Oklahoma's not much better. So wow. I'm going to go with Florida state. Do we have two upsets in a row here? This is kind of wild. It's still two to two, which means I still get a vote. This is, I didn't expect this. This is crazy. <laughs> um, because I agree with the point about Florida State's architecture. That just looks incredible. Um, to be fair to Oklahoma, they kind of do it too. With the front of that stadium, the entrance to that stadium is kind of, you know, it's got something going on. But not nearly as much as what Florida State's trying to do here. Hey, it's got a little something. They tried a little bit. <laughs> They made an attempt on one side. The the rest of it didn't. It's not much of an attempt. They. It is a stadium that does exist. That's it has that going for it. Um, Florida State just that looks so unique that it's hard to overlook it in this bracket. I mean, that one side of the stadium being as much of an academic building looking as it is, and then that huge scoreboard that looks like it dwarfs Oklahoma's scoreboard, which why? Why did they do that? Come on, Oklahoma, you got more money than that. Uh, man, I love Docus Campbell Stadium. I really want to move them on here. Is everybody okay with that? I can yeah. see. I'll, I'll, I'll concede, yes. Florida State. Yes. I'll concede. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's two upsets in a row. We got we to gotta do something about this. <laughs> I don't think it gets any better, though, in our next matchup because we have Bryant-Denny Stadium up against Milan Buster Stadium. That's Alabama versus West Virginia. This was a blowout on Twitter for West Virginia over Alabama. What? Um, a lot so of John Denver you, fans. <laughs> I need you guys to come in here, set things straight. What do you guys think? And which of these stadiums deserves to move on? It's it's Alabama, and I don't understand where <laughs> what people are seeing. I get, I'm I'm jaded on Alabama too. Like I'm done. I they, they've they've done their dynasty. Like they can move on, give somebody else a chance. But when it comes to this this matchup, no, they they deserve to win. Yeah, this it's Alabama. So, I mean, I mentioned it earlier with Michigan, where them not knowing how to build the acoustic engineering for the stadium. Just looking at the uh, overhead image of uh, Alabama, you can tell that's exactly what they did, and that's why it's one of the loudest stadiums every every Saturday afternoon. Uh, on top of that, the other thing I love about Alabama is their version of Dixieland Delight. I don't know. It's just fun to, to join in on it. I don't know if you guys have heard it. They sing it between the third and fourth quarter every game. Yeah. Look it up online. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, but, no, West Virginia is a good stadium, but, no, it's, it's Alabama all day. It's Brian Denny. These are two very traditional stadiums in a very different way, right? They look very different, but it's still iconic 
stadium feel about both of them. I think we have a very strong uh, middle of the country bias. We have a big 12 audience on Twitter for some reason. And uh, yeah, Alabama wasn't going to win that one. It's three to one. Uh, Alabama's moving on here. Deserved you just said Alabama wasn't going to win that one, and they did. So, <laughs> well, Alabama wasn't going to win that one on Twitter. I should oh, say. yeah, yeah, okay. Finish the thought. In uh, our next one, we saw something kind of similar. Uh, we're talking about Georgia versus Washington, Sanford Stadium against Husky Stadium, and Washington pulled out the Twitter vote. Uh, yeah, I'll leave it there. What do you guys think? <laughs> I've I've been to Washington Stadium. It's right on the river. It's in a beautiful part of the country. It towers over. Oh, I see there's a picture of it by the river. Uh, It it towers over the community. When you cross the bridge heading towards that stadium, I mean, it announces itself. I can't speak to Georgia's stadium uh, on that front, but just the imposingness of of Washington Stadium and the fact that Nebraska's had a lot of success there, uh, I'm going to give it to Washington. (laughs) Yeah, I I think Washington has that uniqueness. There's a there's a a lot of traditional uh, college football stadiums that, uh, Georgia's between the hedges, right? Isn't that there? Yeah, that's yep. their thing. So they they've got some uniqueness. Um, they've got their own little thing going. But um, Auburn has hedges too. Nobody talks about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm I'm going Washington just because they they stand out. Um, just as something different. They embrace, uh, you know, their surrounding areas. And so Washington for me. You know, the first time we came up against uh, Washington here when it was taken on uh, Wayne Day uh, way back in the first round, I kind of knocked it for the for the press box overhangs they have going on. Uh, what I overlooked at the time was that river. And location is something to be said. Uh, that being said, you're right. It's unique. Uh, versus just the traditional bowl, bowl design with Georgia and then the added upper levels because they needed more seating. Not a lot of thought there. I'll, I'll give this one to, to Washington. And that means Washington is moving on over reigning national champions, Georgia. Uh, kind of unbelievably to me. I would not have picked it that way, but I'm okay with it because I love unexpected things, and that's what bracket time is all about. Look, the so, way the way that I'd throw this out too is when NCAA football comes back and we get to play that on our on our PlayStations and our Xboxes, and I get to just choose random stadiums. I'm not gonna pick Georgia. I'm gonna pick Washington. Right? Like I think valid. about what what stadiums am I gonna have my fake matchups in when I'm playing some random Big Ten team and I can choose home field advantage wherever. I think I think Washington has an air raid siren that they used to play in the old games. I don't know if they do that in the stadium anymore, but yeah. I think with their proximity, maybe to Russia, they don't drop that out <laughs> during games because it may, may cause panic. Wow, what a terrifying note to end the show on. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, for real. Uh, do you want to shout out where we can find you guys? And we can throw some links in the podcast description as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find our podcast every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Uh, wannabewalkons.com. Uh, you can find the podcast right on our website. You can go to Apple, Spotify, uh, basically everywhere the anchor drops it, we're dropped. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at wannabewalkons. Uh, and you can drink local beer wherever you are. That continues on our mission of just supporting local small businesses uh, the best way possible. And that's by consuming alcohol. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Sold. Good answer. There you go. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much. This is really fun. Glad to have you on. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you, you so much you know, for having us. Yeah. All right. Now, before we actually wrap things up and get off of here ourselves, I think we ought to preview the next matchups for our Twitter polls. Uh, there are four more matchups next week. Make sure you vote on Twitter. As you saw, they were instrumental in how we uh, how well, we not this about week. these. We kind of negated almost all of them this week. Well, three of the four we ended up going against, but we had to consider it, and it changed our arguments a lot of the time. So at least that, you got in the conversation, made some things interesting. Make sure you vote in the polls again this coming week where we will have Penn State up against Mississippi State. That's Beaver Stadium versus Davis Wade Stadium. Again, two very traditional arenas there. Uh, next up, we'll have Camp Randall up against Notre Dame Stadium. I don't know how Notre Dame Stadium is still only Notre Dame Stadium. They need a, they need a sponsor on that at some point, I would think. <laughs> Maybe don't we'll see that in the coming media I'm contract okay with it. business. Uh, next up, we have Daryl K. Royal, Texas Memorial Stadium, up against Boone Pickens Stadium. Uh, again, a, just a classic matchup here. I mean, uh, not even just with the stadiums, just a classic matchup. <laughs> very true. Very true. And, and next up, the last matchup we will have next week is a future Big Ten showdown, UCLA versus Iowa. This is Rose Bowl versus Kinnick Stadium. This All is going right. to be a tough one. If, I'll hate to eliminate either of these, honestly. Talking about plates, that picture of the Rose Bowl is not very flattering. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> but make sure your voice is heard on our Twitter polls. Those will go up this weekend. And uh, we'll be back at bracket time next week. We have a long ways to go in this one. This is only the second round starting right now. So we'll be talking about stadiums for a little while. Yep. <laughs> but I think that's going to do it for our show here, folks. I don't have anything else to say unless I guess we ought to drop the links to all our stuff. You want to do that, Tug? You want to run through? Sure. All right. They're scrolling down here at the bottom. We've got patreon.com slash BDT football, twitter.com slash BDT football, facebook.com slash BDT football, instagram.com slash BDT underscore football. We tried to trick you on that one. Uh, bdtfootball.com and of course our email mailbox at bdtfootball.com you can also find those in the description below if you're uh, listening on audio all right and i get i think that's all the time we have i don't even have a dad joke for you Uh, yeah (laughs) i can't handle it we've, we've been hanging out with you guys for a while we love you guys thank you for listening and just remember you can't win a game if you can't win the trenches 